All right, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Ravan, how are you? I'm good. I'm on top of the mountain. You're what? Yeah, I'm on top of the mountain. Oh, you're on top of the mountain. Outstanding. Except I forgot my chauffeur. Yeah, I know that feeling. When If you're going to climb up to the top, you need to bring your chauffeur with you. I had it up here yesterday. I've been praying when I blow the demons hear it like you blow it yeah yeah well the demons right out of the place get rid of them yeah yeah morning dave i see you there hi kimberly hey john hi joy good to see you hi good Elaine. To see you hey, i see you're higher and a high rena shabbat shalom all the say i see you there brother it's not connecting good to see you guys all right Hi, Jesse. Hi, Jesse Knack. Hi. All right. Good and faithful servant. You do such great work, I have to tell you, Jesse. You really do. Thank you, Stephen. Just uh, stone by stone, the kingdom is built, eh? Thank you. Thanks for helping helping us build Jerusalem together, right? We build Jerusalem together. We all do, yeah. All right, let's see here. We get people Shabbat shalom. That's Gabriella. Hi, Gabriella. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Dr. P. Blessings yes. to you, sister. Good to, good to hear you again. Thank you. You know, we have a this family is really quite something else. Hi, Angela. It, it's really quite something else, this family, because you know, in this family, um, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys ever grew up with brothers and sisters. But I'll tell you, I had two very aggressive brothers and sisters, as you might imagine, a couple of wild Irish kids. And uh, let's just say that the uh, the family life was hmm, one step down from an ongoing riot most of the time. Well, that's the Irish for you. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? And uh, as a consequence, uh, we learned to love each other in the face of all kinds of adversity. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. I'm going to have to tell you, my, my sister, you know, she she used to love to drive fast. And I mean fast. It was not uncommon for her to be going down the road at 110 miles an hour on an icy road, right? One time she was driving on the Palmer Wasilla Highway. She was doing 125 miles an hour in a Dodge Challenger, 72 Dodge Challenger. Ooh. And hit a uh, hit a pavement break and she did three 360s and kept the car in her lane and was very proud of herself for doing that <laughs> i'm thinking no no one should um one should you know we have a saying up here back in the in the days then the alaskan law enforcement was like this do whatever you want we'll come and get your body <laughs> wow because because I can tell you, Alaska is its own taskmaster. You either follow its rules or you don't survive. And it's pretty simple. But now we talk in terms of sacred land. We talk in terms of sacred land. And it is a difference. And I think the sacredness of where you live, like Lynn was saying here, blowing the shofar over, over the ground. The sacredness of where you live is in your holding it out as sacred. You know, Yam made it sacred. It's his habitat. It doesn't belong to us. 
And we can either trash it or we can treat it as sacred ground. Take our shoes off, you know what I mean? And, and when we treat it as sacred ground, all of a sudden, not only do we have reverence for the place, but we also increase our own self-respect. As we begin to have reverence for things, we begin to have reverence for the beauty of Yah's creation. And in such, we want to carry ourselves like Moshe. Take your, your shoes off, for this is sacred ground. And we walk on the ground that we walk on, the ground where we walk, if we proclaim it as sacred and we treat it as sacred. Amen, yes. And we show it to our brothers and sisters that this is sacred ground and you really should not do this because mm -hmm. this is sacred ground. Uh, that all of a sudden we begin to build holiness in the land. We build holiness in the land. And I use, of course, the term holiness to my, my great criticism, you know, because anything that ever the pagans ever used, if you get near it, all of a sudden you're stained with pagan uh, stuff. Or so they say. Anyway, so good morning, you all. I hope everybody is doing well and that uh, there are no critical needs. If there are critical needs, we can lift those up in prayer right now. In fact, let's go ahead and start, start our day with a little prayer. Okay. So, Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this morning, Father, or this afternoon, wherever you may be. Thank you, Father. That you have blessed us with the Shabbat. Hallelujah. Yes. And we yes. are children of the Shabbat, Father, for we are your children and you are our Elohim. We love you so much. We love you with all our heart, our mind, and our soul as you've called us into your truth, called us into your way, and called us into your life. Yes. You, Father. We also pray for the things that you do among our family, Father, in terms of the yeah. human how you have healed people in our group. And we want to continue to pray in particular for the healing for Raina and for David uh, with their cataracts issues. Yes. And we want to pray for other people who are suffering from whether it be a, a long-term heart ailment, whether yes. it be other long-term disorders inside their body, that you would act as a healing agent again today, Father, to restore them mm -hmm. fully to health and to take away all pain, miraculously take away all pain. Yes. Father, we also pray for this community that you would join yes. us together in a unified bond. Love that we would love each other, notwithstanding our faults, our disagreements, our blemishes, our offenses, yes. and that we would just be your people and you would be our Elohim. For you have called yes. us to you, Abba. We just want to say this morning, Father, that we love you very much and thank you for today and thank you for the blessing of this fellowship. Yes. Well, thank you guys. Thank you guys for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let's gather everybody here. We get we're coming in. We've, we've cleared our threshold. We can start talking. So let's talk a little about the about the Torah portion today. I think the Torah portion today is extremely significant in, in terms of many things. I mean, when I think about it, and I was reading it again today, and I'm thinking about Okay, so what exactly happened? What were the claims that were being made, right? And you see, you see Yaakov there, he comes up to the well. And it's the very same well where the servant of Yitzhak found Rivka, very same well. And you recall the servant of Yitzhak said, whoever comes up and waters the camels and offers me water, well, that is going to be the wife of my, uh, of my you know, uh, the one who might serve, you know, the wife of Yitzhak. And sure enough, it was Rivka that did it. And she invited him to come back. And so he ends up marrying Rivka. 
Now we see Yaakov go back to the very same well, and who approaches but the shepherd girl. Now, some people think that the shepherd girl was inordinately young, uh, because Jasher tells us that she was inordinately young. However, I don't think that's the case, because she was old enough to be on her own shepherding a flock. And so she brings the flock of sheep to the well. And when she brings it to the well, Yaakov is immediately smitten whether he wants to marry her. But what happens? Well, there's a couple of things that happen that are outside of Torah. And these things that happen that are outside of Torah uh, are very illustrative of what would go on later on. You see, number one, that Lavan, under the Torah, he has a duty to provide a dowry. He has a duty to provide a dowry. And instead of providing a dowry, he takes Yaakov and says, you work for me for seven years, and then you get my daughter. So literally, he sold his daughter to Yaakov. He didn't give his daughter to Yaakov with a dowry. He sold his daughter to Yaakov. And then, of course, when the, when the marriage is to be consummated, he supplants Leah instead of, instead of Raquel. And so he, now he engages in deception. Okay, so this is blemish number two. Blemish number three, he spends her dowry. He spends it. He keeps her dowry and spends it himself. Then he tells Yaakov, oh, well, if you want Raquel, you have to work for me for another seven years. Well, what does the Torah say about a bondservant? A bondservant is you're in debt to me. You're in debt to me. Uh, and therefore, you have to work off seven years to end your bond servanthood. Now, the Torah goes on to say that if you're a bond servant and you're working for your master during this seven-year period of time, and he finds you a wife, and you have children of that wife, that wife and that children belong to the master and not to you. So you're, you're free to go at the end of seven years. But you can't take your wife and your kids with you. Now, if you don't like that proposition, then pierce your other ear and you can be a bond servant for life. Well, that isn't the deal that Yaakov made. He says, well, I'll pierce the other ear and be a bond servant for seven years because I want to marry Raquel. And so he sells his second daughter and takes her dowry too. He spends her dowry, keeps it. And he sells his second daughter rather than doing what the Torah says, which is to give your daughter with a dowry. He sells her to him. And when he sells her to him and then he spends her dowry, in his opinion. Raquel and Leah both belong to Laban. And the kids belong to him because under the Torah, he found wives for his bondservant. And therefore, those wives belong to him and those children belong to him. Now, Laban is going to make this claim only after Yaakov leaves with the daughters and the sheep and the cattle, right? And so it's very interesting that we have Laban acting as a very aggressive businessman. And he's a very aggressive businessman who is cheating and lying and thieving. And it's all not in your face. But he steals the dowry of both his daughters, forces 
Yaakov into bond servanthood and then tries to claim the rights of a bond master over Yaakov in taking the kids. And only Yah stopping Leban in the middle of the night saying, when you get there, you say neither good nor bad to him because you don't have the right to say neither good nor bad. And Yaakov, it, it even, it's even recorded, Yaakov was angry with him. You come here and you accuse me of stealing from your household after all I did for you and the kind of, you know, you converting me into a bond servant for, for 20 years, right? For 20 years, he'd converted him into a bond servant. Yaakov had long since paid off his debt and long since had the right to the daughters and long since had a right to their dowry. But instead of demanding the dowry, he says, look, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to take the blemished cattle, the blemished sheep, right? And this is a great foreshadow in the Torah that Yah is not going to, Yah is not picking his people up because they're the best looking people or because they're the most intelligent or because they're the most physically able or because they're the richest or because they, he, he picks them, he picks a blemished tribe a blemished tribe, and he pulls them together and says, these will be my people because they will guard my Shabbat. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. These will be my people because they will guard my Shabbat. Well, what does the Shabbat have to do with being his people? Well, because the nature of Yahweh of is a sevenfold nature. He worked for six days and rested on the seventh. This is a sevenfold nature. And I'll tell you, we had a discussion. And John, I want to thank you for sending me that email the other day. We had a discussion on Thursday night on, on the dig. And we were talking about some of these issues. And one of the things that John pointed out is that Revelation talks about, and heaven and earth shall disappear, and a new heaven and earth shall be made, right? And you have this idea that there is 6,000 years of mankind doing its thing, then a 1,000-year millennial reign that is really a Shabbat for man when Yah reigns over the earth. And then heaven and, new, and heaven and the earth are renewed. Well, the question that John raised, which is a good question, did it happen before? Did that happen before? Was there a 7,000-year period that preceded the 7,000 years that are here with us today? And when you think about that, a lot of that dating, like when you see some of the dating of the antediluvian relics, they all fall within that timeline that appears to fall into a timeline that was less than 7,000 years that preceded mankind's adventure in the current epoch. And the current epic, many of us have kind of come to agree that we're closing in on the end of those 6,000 years. Uh, we're, you know, we're closing in on the end of that and that Yah's reign sits before us. Now, the exciting part about that is that Yah's reign sits before us, right? We're not out here by ourselves. Yah's reign sits before us and it's going to be absolutely marvelous. Uh, and a thing of beauty, and I think we should all look to that. And irrespective of whether or not we come into his reign or not, we know that the we're reaching the climax of events, right? 
we're reaching the climax of events. And, uh, and as a result, the, um, we're going to see an increase in a lot of things that we don't like, things that are not going to be good for the believer. You know, uh, in the UK, for instance, they've already come out and said that there are portions of the Bible that violate the, the criminal code in the UK. And as a consequence, the whole Bible cannot be read. You cannot stand on the street corner in London and read the Bible cover to cover. Because if you do, you're going to be violating the criminal code in the UK. Now, I can tell you as a, as a, a Torah teacher, when we, we discussed this in the 10 Devarim, there is no law outside the Torah. Okay, period. You cannot say that the Bible is anathema because there is no law outside the Torah. You, you know, you create some law. If you if you have a, a parliament that or a Congress that has created a law that says something in the Bible is illegal, that is the conspicuous worship of another God. Okay? It's the conspicuous worship of a different Elohim. What is the source of your authority that says? that the written word of Yah is a criminal act. What's the source of your authority? There has to be some source. And typically what we find is they're worshiping another God. Well, what God is being worshiped in Britain? Well, I can tell you that God has a sign, right? Just as, just as the Christian church has the cross, just as the Ju Judaism has the star of David, just as Islam has the sickle moon and star, the religion of the faith of Gaia has a six-colored flag. And they have raised that flag over the community. They've raised that flag over the nations. They've raised that flag even over national identity. They've raised that flag. And so because this is the new God, then the words of the old God are now criminalized. Because they are going to call evil good and good evil. And if you were to stand up in the public square and says, well, Yahweh says this behavior is wicked. Yahweh says this behavior is an abomination. Yahweh says this behavior will cause you to be cast from the kingdom of heaven. And the state says, our God says that is offensive speech, which will not be allowed. So when you see a nation, you, this is part of the reason, this is part of the problem that, that uh, Charles has in Britain, is that he wants to be the defender of faiths, plural. Because he does not want to defend the true faith because he does not recognize the true faith, nor does he understand true faith. And as a consequence, he is going to allow the God that he worships privately to become the dominant God over the English-speaking world. You have to keep in mind that when you talk about rules coming down in Britain, the rule that comes down in Britain then comes down in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the 52 nations of the Commonwealth. That rule comes down in all of those places. So. Contemplate that for a minute and recognize that when Yah does, when, when, uh, when Charles does this kind of thing, 
he is asserting a golden calf. He is asserting an idol over the whole of the English-speaking world. It is a great cursing. Now, with this great cursing comes what? With the great cursing comes a very, very uh, difficult time for those of us who walk in accord with the word of Yahweh. Because as time goes by, we are going to be considered more and more anathema. And that a meeting like this, where I read out the passage in 2 Timothy that says adultery and fornication and homosexuality and variance and uh, rebellion and rebel, rebelling, drunkenness, will get you excluded from the kingdom of heaven. That kind of a statement, or reading Romans 1, would be considered hate speech, offensive speech, for which you can be criminally prosecuted. You can't say someone's conduct, conduct which leads directly to death, is a sin. Because evil is good, and good is evil. So this is the era that we're coming into now because we have misplaced leadership. And I, and I really believe now, and I'm just going to say it, we're going to, because, in fact, if you don't mind my sharing with you, Yah pointed out to me today, he said, Stephen, he said, the United States government is going to fall like a great redwood. It's going to come down like a great redwood. It will be cut down at the base and it will, it will fall to the ground like a great redwood. And he said, you will see the precipitous collapse of the Washington Monument. That even though they think they have kept it in good shape, and that it's a well-protected obelisk, and that they've maintained it, and so on and so forth, it will collapse from the base as the bricks give way in one corner, and the whole thing will come down. And when the obelisk comes down, the government itself will fall within two weeks thereafter. And, and he said, it will fall, and it will never rise again. It will fall and will never rise again. Now, we have a, a great difficulty happening, which is, you can see it very clearly now uh, in Ukraine. You see the rise of Nazism. Now, you, most people don't know this because where you are, you probably don't get the whole news. You get some portion of the news. And in many places, like in the United States, if you're a consumer of the mainstream media, you don't get any news at all. All you get is propaganda. You never get the truth. You never get the truth, not ever. In fact, recently they said that every story that CNN has broken in the last eight years has been proven false. Every one of them that they call breaking news. And so as a consequence, there is no genuine journalism. And these places are shutting down. CNN and MSNBC just laid off most of their employees because they have no market left and they're not being funded anymore. So here we are, and but what you don't know is that the Ukrainian government is a Nazi government, and it's not inconspicuous. It's very conspicuous. There are multiple videos of Ukrainians zigheiling one another. The zigheil salute is quite common. The the press that is the the open statements of People like uh, Azov Battalion. The Azov Battalion is 
absolutely in your face, white supremacist Nazi. I mean, in your face. In fact, when when uh, the Obama regime overturned, overthrew the government in Ukraine in 2014, the second day after the overthrow of the government, the new government required the registration of the Jews. The second day. Now, I can tell you that the registration of the Jews is being sought after now in France. Okay, France, two days ago, has requested that the Jews register in France. And it shouldn't be any surprise because the infection of Nazism from Ukraine is infecting all of Western Europe. So Azov Battalion openly Nazi, Svobodna, which means freedom in, in Ukrainian, openly Nazi, right sector, openly Nazi. And their approach was very quickly on. It was white supremacist, ultra-nationalist, Ukrainian language only, and that Russian speakers were not just to be prosecuted, but they were to be killed and their property taken from them. So the Russian language, which we have to remember, about 40% of Ukraine speaks Russian only, speaks Russian only. And you would think, you know, I don't know if you've ever spent much time with Ukrainian people, but I had a Ukrainian paralegal for four years, right? There is a difference between the Ukrainian language and the Russian language. They're quite different. They're as different as the Polish languages from Russian or the Czech languages from Russian. They're a different language. And in fact, there are many words in Russian that Ukrainians can't say. And there are Ukrainian words that Russians can't say. They can't pronounce them, right? And so at any rate, they criminalized the Russian language and they began to kill Russian speaking people. Doing things like uh, putting up mortar shells into apartment buildings, these kinds of things, bombing hospitals. And this was going on, went on from 2014 until Russia invaded, in fact, still going on today. But these groups openly confessed to being Nazi. I mean, they openly confessed it. Their websites were very clear. They were denouncing non-white people and so on and so forth. And this leadership became more and more intense to the point that the United States government refused to fund Ukraine because they knew that Azov Battalion was Nazi. And they knew that Svobodna was Nazi and they knew right sector was Nazi. Well, all of that was waived with the Biden administration coming in who allowed money to go to known Nazis. And not just a little bit of money, we're talking over $100 billion, and there's another $27 billion headed their way in this next salvo. $100 billion. So you think about your friends that don't have food. Think about your friends that can't afford their electric bill. Think about your friends that can't pay for their natural gas as we put $100 billion into Ukraine. So with this rise of Nazism, this mindset of Nazism, there's a couple of things about Nazism. If you look closely at what happened with Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler should have recognized with the defeat in Stalingrad, the Russian front was lost. He lost at Stalingrad, he lost at Kursk, and he lost in St. Petersburg. When that happened, the Russian front was disintegrating. And then the U.S. and, and the Allies invade in Normandy. Now, when we invaded in Normandy and, and Patton hit Sicily and coming up the Italian peninsula, 
any reasonable person would have capitulated and attempted to work out a truce. So Hitler at this point, had he, had he been intelligent, which he was not because he was infected with Nazism, had he been intelligent, he would have negotiated some kind of a truce and said, okay, look, we're done with the war. You can have France back. Uh, we're going to keep Germany, right? And something could have been negotiated, but he didn't do that. In fact, he would not stop until there was no Berlin, no Frankfurt, no Dresden, nothing. He would not stop until Germany was completely eviscerated. Now, it's the same thing going on Ukraine. Ukraine could have stopped this war a long time ago. And instead of stopping the war, you have Nazi leadership saying, we're not done yet. We still have one guy left who can die. And so the obliteration in Ukraine is so intense, you know, to, to try to imagine how bad it is. The commander in the, in the town of Bakhmut, which is the decisive battle that's going on right now, said the Ukrainian troops are, they're few and far between. They're in foxholes with water up to their knees in mud. They have no food to eat, no medical relief, and they're fighting in foxholes that are full of dead bodies that nobody can bury. I mean, this is how bad it is. Okay, it is the conditions are horrendous and the leaders are waiting for an order out of Kiev to evacuate Bakhmut to retreat so that they can regroup, get some food, get some dry clothing on and fight again. And there has been no order. And so what the what the commanders in the field are saying in Bakhmut is the Ukrainian leadership in Kiev has left us here to die. Now. I can tell you the casualties right now among the Ukrainian army are about 400,000 people. It's about 400,000. Russians had obit notices for 397,000 people. So there's almost no Ukrainians left fighting. These people that are in, that are trapped in Bakhmut are Poles, Polish mercenaries, Latvian mercenaries, British mercenaries, and American mercenaries. That's who's in the field right now. There's almost no Ukrainians left. That's how bad this is what the situation is. The country is completely dark. They have no electricity. They have no water. They have no internet. It's completely dark. You should see the satellite photos. There's nothing. There's nothing on. So with this kind of infection that is coming out of Ukraine, this infection now is going to put 25 million refugees into Western Europe, all of whom are going to bring a Nazi ideology with them. This is an infectious mental disease. It's a spiritual disease. It's a mental disease. It's an infectious disorder. And this infectious disorder, as it comes into Western Europe, you're already beginning to see the rise of let's have the Jews registered. You're already beginning to see in Germany, they celebrated Kristallnacht, KFC, celebrated Kristallnacht. Oh, let's have a special. Uh, on so on chicken here in celebration of Kristallnacht, the night that began the persecution of the Jews <clears throat> in the 1930s. We see open acts of this kind of behavior in the United States now, including a guy who was filmed yesterday at SeaTac Airport zigheiling in the four directions, north, south, east, and west. Now, maybe he was 
protesting. Or maybe that was his true view. But I can tell you that Nazism is rising, and it's rising in the Western world. And if you recall, what gave birth to Nazism in Germany was two things, two things that gave birth to it. One was an economic catastrophe that was completely out of control. You had a hyperinflation going on. The currency absolutely plateaued. People were getting paid in wheelbarrows. And they would demand payment at noon so that they could go out and buy bread because by evening, their wages would not be enough to buy the bread. This is how bad the hyperinflation was. And with the hyperinflation in that kind of a situation, you had an economic catastrophe. And that catastrophe was coupled with a, a sexual deviancy and defilement that was virtually, there was virtually no boundaries. In Berlin, there were absolutely zero boundaries, no boundaries whatsoever. And as a consequence, you had a sexual deviancy that was throughout the whole nation. So there, there were two things that had created a completely ripe field for the rise of Nazism. One was economic catastrophe, and the other was the practice of sexual deviancy inside the community. Now, where do you think we are in the United States right now? Where do you think we are in the Western world? We have inflation at very high levels right now, but they're nothing compared to what they're going to be when the dollar pancakes. And the dollar is headed in that direction. The pound is headed in that direction. The pound had the single largest crash in its history when I was in Britain. And it's not done. The pound is going to fall to the floor. The dollar is falling to the floor. The euro is falling to the floor. The yen is falling to the floor. They're going to zero. When they do, the markets will go to zero. And when this happens, you're going to see a chaos. Well, what do we do now? And in the middle of that chaos, you see the people ruling the nation are transsexuals, transvestites, openly homosexual. I mean, this is who's ruling the country right now. That's who's ruling the United States. And so in the middle of this, the ground is made fertile, the soil is made fertile for the rise of a singular, ruthless individual who's going to set things right, predicated upon a ferocious nationalist or internationalist hyper agenda of Nazism. Now I say something? Yeah, David, sure. I, I agree. When Barack Obama uh, moved this country into uh, the Reich, and then when the Reich really manifested was when Biden stepped up and got more votes, supposedly, than Trump did, that got more votes than anybody had ever gotten. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, D.C. was covered with fences and barbed wire and military. Instead of uh, instead of let's let's praise the new president, we got military a dominion controlling the people from making anything any moves against this new Reich government that rose. Well, yeah. this country now is overthrown, 
by this that this right, this Nazism, and is uh, is manifesting uh, control from uh, the Davos elitists that are all Nazis. Yeah. And the UN right uh, is back yeah. with the, uh, the Nazi regime. So I'm, I'm in agreement with it. We just have to realize how big it is to really realize how intense the warfare is now. I, I, thank you for letting me speak. Yeah, thanks, David. And, and if other people want to contribute to this conversation, oh, don't let David be alone, okay? So I mean, I'll just throw this out to you guys that uh, I think David is right on this. And of course, when you saw... Biden, who went to Rome and lay prostrate on the ground in front of the Pope, paying obeisance to the RCC and claiming that he's Catholic, this gives you some indication of the source and the rise of this Nazism, because the truth is that Bergoglio himself is the son of a Nazi who fled to Argentina after World War II, Pope. He has appointed the children of Nazis to run the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Malta. The leadership in the EU are children of the Third Reich, and they're not elected, they're appointed. And the, and the bureaucrats of the EU are children of the Third Reich. And that's who runs the country. The children of Nazis are running Europe. And they very much have a Nazi mindset. And when we look at that Nazi mindset, what is this all about? Well, it goes back to... Uh, the collapse of the Western Roman Empire initially, which was brought on by Rome itself, by the way, because Rome was promoting as part of its agenda, ignorance. That's what it promotes, ignorance. You don't, we don't want you reading anything. We'll tell you what it says. You don't read a thing. And they burned library after library after library because they wanted to get rid of existing Hebrew texts that told a different story than the story they told. And they rewrote history. And as a consequence, Rome fell. But Rome had managed to put itself in a position where it became the spiritual authority of Europe and not the political authority. And by becoming the spiritual authority, it became the political authority because they told the kings, if you don't obey us, we will excommunicate you and you will burn in hell for eternity because we've kicked you out of heaven. And the kings may not have believed it, but their people did. And as a consequence, Rome asserted itself by means of the church, the two-spire church, Romulus and Remus, overlooking the city, controlling the city, controlling the mindset of the public, such that the kings capitulated. And of course, we see the rise of Charlemagne. And Charlemagne in 800 AD became the emperor of the Second Holy Roman Empire, or the Second Reich. And the Second Reich had dominion over the continent of Europe for a thousand years, from 800 AD to 1800 AD. It was put to death by the sword of Napoleon. Napoleon is the one who terminated the Second Reich. And when he terminated the Second Reich, he imposed the secular code the Napoleonic Secular Code. And this was in place in Europe for over 100 years. And then, of course, the goal of the church was to reinstate the authority of Rome again. And as their pawn, they used the new Charlemagne, Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler came to reign in this Reich of Chaos, saying that we will create the Reich 
to reign for what? A thousand years, right? So the goal of the Nazi party was to control Europe for a thousand years. Now, they lost the war, supposedly. Then how is it that the Reich has complete control of Europe, the complete control of the UK, the complete control of Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the complete control of the United States if they lost the war? Well, scripture talks about it. It says the beast that was, that is not, and yet is. See, it is not. We don't see the conspicuous swastika, although you're seeing it in Ukraine now. You don't see the conspicuous swastika, although the Reich is ruling. The Reich is ruling. See? And this is all coming from this Bergoglio who usurped the papacy in 2015 and wrote his paper called the Laudate Si. The Laudate Si is this incredibly wicked document which has asserted Gaia as the true God of mankind, not Yahweh, but Gaia, the earth, and the doctrine of climate change as the true religion. That's why they wrote their own Ten Commandments here last week, or two weeks ago, at the Sinai, because they have a new God. See, they have created a golden calf. They have created a new Elohim. They have created a new Ten Commandments, and they are asserting the province of the Third Reich over mankind. Now, the people who recognize this clearly are the Eastern Orthodox people, namely represented by Russia, who have seen the Poles burning Orthodox Bibles in Ukraine, tossing them into the fireplace and making videos of it. So you see that the one group that stands between you and the unbridled rise of an international Nazism is Russia. And that's it. There's no one else. And even though you see China and Russia working together right now, China is part of the international Nazi Reich. Because if you think there's any kind of freedom in China, you're crazy. That is absolutely a techno-fascist hellhole of the highest order. So here we are. And so with these circumstances being the case, we as a people are going to be looking at many, many things we do not have. Right now, we have the freedom to talk. We may not have this freedom long. Right now, we have the freedom to associate with one another. We may not have this freedom long. Right now, we have the ability to be conspicuous in our faith in the public square. Right? Lynn can blow his shofar on top of the mountain. Uh, Paul Barry can wear his seat seat in public. You know, we can do those things right now. But how long are we going to be able to do that? And don't think for a minute that they don't know who we are. They know us. And they have us in a registry. They know who we are. They don't need us to register anything. The NSA has got every single thing that you've ever put on your cell phone or on a computer they have in a database under your name that they can pull up just like that. I used to see it in immigration. You know, somebody would come in from Ukraine who was trying to get out of Ukraine. And believe me, I did many, many amnesty applications out of Ukraine, uh, asylum applications out of Ukraine from people being persecuted. And uh, they would come into the interview and the interviewer at, at uh, ICE would say, okay, well, let's um, 
let's talk. Let me, let me interview you and talk about who you are as a person. And the interviewer would have the Facebook page open of the person that they were interviewing. Or in this case, it'd be the VK page, which was the Russian equivalent of Facebook. They'd have the Facebook page open right there on their screen. Well, let's see. Did you ever do this? Did you ever hang out with Nazis? Did you ever persecute anybody in your country? Did you Have you ever used marijuana? Because funny, you say, no, you haven't used marijuana, but I have a picture of you right here partying in, in, uh, in 2002 with your friends, right? And they would have all of this immediately, immediately at their fingertips because they have all of this data on every one of us, right? And the beauty of FB, Facebook, is that the CIA didn't have to come in and mine your data. You put it up personally. You put it up there. You put up your birthday, you put up your education, you put up your history, you put up your resume on LinkedIn. You know, you, you do all of these other things and they know exactly who you are. And when they decide to target you, they can put whatever they want on your page. Well, we're now going to add this to your page, right? Hack in, do whatever they want. Next thing you know, you're a lone gunman with problems. Right? And so at any rate, this is the world in which we're currently living. We live under an adroit techno-fascism. But have no fear for the hand of Yah is with us. And the hand of Yah is with us, seeing all of these things, knowing all of these things. And you know, now they're talking about, right now they're talking about a, um, a solar maximum. And the solar maximum that is coming uh, is probably going to fry a great deal of their electric grid. She's going to fry it. And when in Joel 3.21 says, I will cleanse the blood that I have not cleansed. For those of you that have got massive amounts of, of uh, nanobots in your system from too many vaxes, a, a CME is likely going to fry that entire antenna. And the next thing you know, your blood, your blood is going to be cleansed of those nanobots. And so that is what it's looking like. That's what it's looking like. Okay. So, uh, so with that being said, let's let's go to somebody else besides me. Lynn, what's going on? Well, I just wanted to tell you what I heard last Sabbath night. I always go outside and spend time with the Father, and I was out there praising the Father in in the background of the hills. I heard it sound like thousands, thousands of uh souls being tortured in the bad shield and last friday night well not friday thursday night i heard it again for about maybe five minutes and ended i just want to think what you what you think of that and and i also feel like father is telling us we're in the fourth seal and how long you think we're going the fifth seal well i can tell you we uh, jesse and i did a show with mark <laughs> hallam a couple <laughs> weeks back and mark believes that we've actually seen the unleashing of the sixth seal so uh, as we, well, what's oh. going on is we saw uh, we're seeing the supernova of Betelgeuse, which is uh, uh, the main star in the constellation Orion. Okay. And they've never seen anything like that before. And the supernova, I mean, if you have a if you have a star erupt and goes into supernova, <laughs> you know, how huge is that? And so we're, we're already beginning to see the radiation effects of it. I mean, if you can see it visually then you can see that the effects are coming in. The effects are coming in uh, to the earth now because we can see it. 
So, so what's up with all the, the souls I was hearing screaming like this? Now all the, the, souls souls. That, the souls that you're hearing, this is, now where are you? You're in Tennessee? I'm in Kentucky. You're in Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. It sounded like it was in the hills that, well, after Saturday. It sounded like it was hills. It sounded like thousands and thousands of uh, souls in the shield being tormented. And then last well, it, Thursday night, it just it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me, Lynn, that, that you're hearing something accurately. Um, you know, if you read for Ezra, for Ezra talks about uh, that. It talks about how the the souls of the unrepentant walk the earth. They walk the earth. They do not rest in peace. You know, rest in yeah. peace is reserved for those who who love Mashiach. Yeah. Those who do not do not rest in peace. They walk the earth, and so okay. you may have been hearing. I mean, I can tell you when I was in Kursk, Russia, <clears throat> I went to bed. I went to bed one night. I had no idea where I was. I was right on the battleground in this hotel, and I went to bed that night. and And I perceived thousands of souls, thousands of souls wandering outside the door. Uh, well, I was hearing that, and I was wondering why y'all was letting me hear that. But I was hearing that, and a little airy, but I was hearing it. Yeah, and he's letting you hear it because, you know, part of the reason you're hearing that, Lynn, is because we've crossed over that threshold. It used to be that we were kind of far away from supernatural events, you know, so we really didn't see the kingdom of Yah that clearly. But those, that threshold is falling away and you're beginning to see the difference between here and the kingdom of Yah. If that threshold is falling down, you're beginning. To, I mean, there are people who have seen, for instance, angels are appearing in the clouds continually yeah. face of demons are appearing in the smoke coming out of the volcanoes i mean we're you in can see this stuff if we're in the sixth deal it ain't gonna be long because i've been i've been hearing father telling me he's coming real soon the sun really soon so so we don't got much time left he's gonna he's gonna show up pretty soon now well hallelujah may, may yeah you know maranatha right may yeah yeah. shall come the lion of the tribe of judah he's well, seen I'm in the Praise yeah yeah well, and again, you know, you remember that Mashiach's prophecy was that as lightning is seen from the east to the west, so shall you see the coming of the Son of Man. I've heard the and Father tell me two or three times that he's coming, he's coming very soon, his son Yamashiach. So, yeah, well, hallelujah. Coming quickly. Hallelujah. Yeah, and, you know, and I think the events, we're going to see the culmination of events, and we will see Yah reign over this earth for a thousand years. And in the meantime, you know, the wickedness, uh, why do the wicked prosper, asks David the psalmist. But he answers the question and says their, their life will be short, their tenure will be short, and they will be blotted out, you know, and, and this is coming too. Well, that's well, for you. Yah's got me in a safe place, and I feel like it's hiding me. I don't know if you can see all the, I'm up on top, almost on top of the hill. You can see all how high I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty nice. Praise yeah. Well, you know, up here in Alaska, you know, we don't call that a hill. That's more like yeah, I, understand. I understand that, but it's it's, it's mountain for here anyway. <laughs> and I, I packed my backpack up, you know, to come up here and then put my sepher in there. How about warming out getting up here? Especially with the yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's a very good workout device, you know, really. And you can also flex with it, especially if you have, if you get the Millennium Edition in the Collector's Edition. You can use that to, you know, kind of work out. You work both the biceps, the triceps, and the and the lats. You know, I had enough weight today. 
Okay. Thanks, Lynn. Okay. Well, bless it to you, brother. Praise you. Hey, hey Raina. How are you? Good. I'll wait till the end. I just want um, a few things that I want to bring out later. I'll okay, wait till right. the end. I'll, I'll come back you. to you, Raina. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Okay. Hey, Chris, how's it going, brother? Shalom, Doc. Yeah, very well. Thank you. And you? Good. Good, good. Wonderful. Shalom to everybody. Shabbat shalom to everybody. Yeah, I just wanted to add to your um, to the to the Torah reading once again. Um, you know, Lavan had always a little bit of love for money, didn't he? I mean, back in the day when um, the servant came to fetch Rivka, that was in Genesis twenty-four, verse thirty-one. You know, uh, he was the guy and he said, come in, you blessed of Yahweh, wherefore stand you without, for I have prepared the house and the room for the camels. And that's after he saw the gold bracelets and all the, the earrings, right? So, um, and, and that's also something that we can take to, to today's world, um, you know, with, this, with, a, with a blessing, with a monetary blessing uh, equating to Yah's blessing. <laughs> you know, we quite, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's how some people see, you know, I mean, oh, I've got a jet, that means that I'm blessed of Yah, kind of thing, you know, and that's not always true. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against uh, people who are blessed, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, that's not how we measure Yah's blessing, that's for sure, and I think all of us know that. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say, and uh, the, 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 the one thing uh, in in verse twenty, uh, chapter twenty nine of Genesis, which we read, was Yaakov kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Now there is another story to that, and that's in Jasher twenty nine, uh, from verse thirty one, and that's when um, Esau sends his son out to go and kill Yaakov and steal his stuff, and his son, who was a very good archer. Uh, he didn't kill him, but he did take all his possessions and he did take his stuff. And that was the, 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 the payment, the dowry for uh, the, the wife. And, and I believe that when he saw her, <laughs> you know, that's, that's obviously a yah moment. Yah giving you a person and not yourself choosing one. Uh, for your, for your, uh, <laughs> which you know we uh, we 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 tend to miss um, a lot of the time if we're not in Yah, definitely. And those of us that came to Yah after uh, a certain period of the wilderness know that for a fact. Um, but anyway, the point is that he cried and he wept because he didn't have the money like. The servant did when he went to go and fetch Rachel uh, to to bless Lavan with, right? Right. So he came there, he came there empty-handed, and um, you know now he's saying, "Oh boy, you know this is the woman, this is the one that Yah has given me, and now I've got nothing to pay for it or to give." Yeah. yeah good point. Good point, Chris. But Enoch's, Enoch, or, uh, Esau's son stole the dowry from him when he left. Exactly. 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 What are you doing in this mix? 
<laughs> I, I have to. Chris told me, don't shut up anymore. Okay, all right. Listen, yeah, you guys turn around for a second. I got to take my dog out. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, that's the point, John, and that's in Joshua 29, right? Verse 31 onwards, uh, where he, he didn't have the heart to kill him, but he did steal his stuff, right? And, um, and so this guy comes there and he's got nothing to give. And Levan, knowing that the asset doesn't really lie in what what he can give, but also the blessing of Yah that follows him and that is with him. <laughs> you know, he uh, he says, okay, well, look, if this is what you can't do, and then obviously also with that, you could you could add the, the 14 years that he had to work for the two women because he knew the longer that Yaakov was with him, the more he would be blessed, mm-hmm. which is an amazing thing. Thing. And I mean, John, you we were talking about this today, and you, you're a farmer. And you know, if you do not look after your sheep or your goats or anything like that, in other words, if you're not daily basis watching them, seeing who's limping, seeing whose eyes are swollen, seeing who's uh, got a runny nose, they die. <laughs> and they die quite quickly, right? Mm-hmm. It's strange right. that... Um, it's strange that Lavan's sons come to him right at the end and they say, hey, uh, this guy's stealing our inheritance. Meanwhile, they don't know really what's going on with the sheep, do they? I mean, they're just seeing the increase. and uh, Or the goats and the, and the cattle. They're just seeing the multiplication work, but they, they're seeing it from a distance. They're not hands-on. And um, I've got a few sheep, but I know you, you, you're a farmer, so... so uh, you know better than I do. But if you do not look after your sheep and do not look after the prodigy and do not look after who is uh, the, the dominant male and, and you, you're segregating all those things to keep the bloodline good, you have sick animals and they start dying, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a blessing of Yah to give you the, this information, right? Uh, another thing that I would like to just go to is when he was uh, sleeping at Luz, uh, which he called Beit El, uh, he says in verse 20 of 28 of the chapter of 28, he says, And Yaakov vowed a vow, saying, If Elohim will be with me and guard me in this way I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall Yahweh be my Elohim. So that's also a very interesting thing because it relates exactly to Yahushua, the Messiah, because he is the one that gives us, he's the bread of life, first of all, and second of all, he's the one who gives us the garments. And the garments are obviously our garments that we will get once he comes back. The garments where this two-strand DNA disappears and we have the, the, the glorified garments. Um, and he says uh, in, in, in Revelation 3 to the church of Laodicea, he says, I counsel you to buy of me white garments. So, uh, you know, uh, well, let me just read that because 
I'm once again paraphrasing it. Sometimes when you're sitting in a, in a meeting like this, you, it says here, uh, I counsel you to buy, it's in verse 18 of Revelation 3, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment, that you may be clothed, that your shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salt so that you may see. Um, and that's all part of Yahusha. So this whole story, I mean, we had a beautiful discussion this morning when we read this, is, um, is really pointing, and it's actually the whole story, is pointing to the Messiah. The whole story is pointing to Yahusha, who, who, um, who, who is all these things for us. And uh, we just have to trust, because as he says here, if Elohim will be with me and guard me in this way that I go and will give me the bread to eat and the raiment to put on so that I come again into my father's house in peace, then shall Yahweh be my Elohim. I mean, isn't that beautiful? It's, 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 it's what we're waiting for. You know, we can say Yah is our Elohim right now, and, and we do believe it because that's in our heart and that's our, our, our mind, our heart decision. But is that true always? Sometimes not, because the deception is so great. You know, if the word says the whole world is deceived, we mustn't think that at some stages in our walk, we are not deceived as well. We, we have to stay so close to the Ruach Elohim, and that's what we read last week. We read that he, in, in Luke, that he blesses us with the Ruach Elohim and with fire. Now, the fire doesn't devour us at that time because we don't burn up like stubble, but we are changed in the blink of an eye. And th this raiment is put on. And that's when we really enter into uh, that relationship that Yahweh is our Elohim and we are his people. Um, anyway, that's what I'm going to say. You know, Chris, when you're, talking about, when you're talking about the deception, now, let me give you an example. Let's talk climate change for just a second. One of the things that we're kind of discovering now is that there have been radical climate changes on the earth in much shorter periods of time than we were told in school. Remember your teachers telling you there was an ice age millions of years ago, and before that, the dinosaurs were millions of years after before that, and on and on and on. All this millions of years nonsense. When in reality, it was thousands of years, and in some cases, maybe even hundreds of years. And so if we recognize that there was an ice age that was uh, uh, prolific, and let's take the era sometime between mm, maybe 200 BC and 200 AD, that this was an ice age over certain portions of the earth. And then this melted, and we went into a very hot warming period. Now, the, the, the paleo record actually does show that the earth around the third century was 11 degrees centigrade hotter than it is right now, worldwide, on an, as an average temperature. Well, that's very significant. That's a lot of temp. And then, of course, a cooling period came following that. Well, this heating and cooling would create an earth that's going to be inordinate to our understanding. I mean, you know, massive ice caps really expanding over all of North America, for instance. Uh, these kinds of things taking place, and then these ice caps rapidly shrinking. Well, if this is the case, this is the doing of Yah. It's not the doing of 
somebody driving an SUV, you know, 3,000 years ago, right? Or somebody using aerosol deodorant. None of that, it was contributory whatsoever. All in the hand of Yah doing this climate change. Now you have people telling you, like Bill Gates, like the Pope, like King Charles III, telling you that man can somehow stop this change of climate. Now, they believe this, right? That man can somehow stop this. Now, when you think about that, this is heresy at the highest level. This is asserting yourself as God, right? Right. You think you're going to do something about climate change is you asserting yourself as God. And so when somebody comes to you and says climate change, what they're really telling you is you can be like Elohim. Eat of the fruit of this tree, and you can be like Elohim. That's what they're telling you. That's what they're saying to you. You need to do something about climate change because you can be like Elohim. Yeah. And, you know, Doc, it's very strange that these Ten Commandments, right? We read read that uh, Moshe's Ten Commandments were on sapphire. Now, I understand that sapphire is a numbered stone. Uh, but if you take the color, right, sapphire is blue, mm-hmm. it just, just, just if that is a, a thing, right? And then you see these new commandments written on green stones, right? To who, right? I mean, uh-huh. it's to the green god, right? To Gaia. That's exactly what they worship. And um, it, it's, it's interesting that uh, that as well. Um, yeah. It's such an incredible it's an incredible thing we're seeing now. We're seeing this false god, we're seeing this idolatry, we're seeing this. And and what's so amazing is, is that the leader of the Roman church is the one leading us to this pagan worship. That's calling the whole world really, to go in that direction. It's amazing. Right. Right. And and I mean, you know, it's not it's not a new thing. Well, I mean, it's been for a very long time that people have warned against the Catholic Church. Um, you know, if you're in the Catholic Church, like I was when I was growing up, you, you don't see uh, much. But then you tend to, well, if Yah gives you the sense, you tend to say, well, I don't, this is weird. I don't really want to be here. And that's happened to me. But then I went into the wilderness because I thought, well, okay, now if this is, you know, uh, not good, then what is good? And I started, you know, doing my own thing um, until Yah brought me back quite quite powerfully, miraculously changed me again. And, um, but, but that's not my point. My point was coming that many, many, many people uh, from hundreds of years ago have said that the Catholic Church is the Antichrist. Or the end time Messiah. Oh, yeah, sure. It's published uh, in, the, in the 1560 Geneva, all over the place. Right. That's where I've heard you. I've had you, heard you uh, quite quite often talking about that. So that's amazing. And I mean, you know, now it's coming to fruition, and the whole world is once again deceived. And this whole Torah portion, uh, as well as last week's Torah portion, really talks about deception, because as Yaakov deceived his father um, by Rivka. Um, 
because she knew that Esau could not carry the weight of the name or of the, 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 the firstborn. She knew that he did not respect his parents. He killed. He, um, in other words, he broke all the commandments of Yah. And he did not respect Yah. So he could not carry uh, the, the, the progenitor. He could not be the progenitor of this, of this movement. So by Yah, he actually was deceived um, by them and gave the, 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 the blessing to Yaakov. Um, and, and the same here with Lavan. Right? Lavan is now, I mean, Yaakov was deceived by Lavan. It's uh, the deception. My point being that even if you have a relationship and you talk to Yah and you see the helix and the strands and the ladder and the angels moving up and down and you know that Yah is with you, even then you can be deceived. So we've really got to guard our hearts and the only truth is the word of Yah. And there's nothing else that we can uh, rely on. Yeah. Chris, can I say something? Sure, Rena. Uh, please, Rena, how, how are you? Oh, tough my old. Very well. Wonderful. Isa did not have the ruah. He did not want that relationship. That's the difference between Yaakov and Esau. Yes, yes. And, and that's the marvelous thing when Yaakov says, you know, guard me in this way, right? And I mean, that's what Dr. Pigeon has been preaching on for years, the way, the way, the truth and the life, right? It's not you that can muster up the strength to walk in this way. It's Yah's blessing that keeps Amen. you in the way. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. He did not want to walk. Halakha. He did not. He did not. He did he not want to, want to walk in the ways. Yes. Amen. Amen. And look what he did. So and that's he, why he, he hated his birthright. He hated his birthright. He, he, he despised it. Oh, my birthright, what's that worth? Bowl of soup. Nothing more. And then he gets exactly. mad because he loses the blessing. And then what does he do? He goes out and marries two Canaanite women and an Ishmaelite. And that's what he did. And you know, yep. and and what does what what does it say in scripture? He grieved Yitzhak and Rivka. He grieved them with who he went out and married. You know, he was mm -hmm. in their face. I'm not doing that yep. stuff. Forget it. You know, and you know, yep. it wasn't like yep. it wasn't like he was completely deceived by Yaakov. Scripture tells us he hated his birthright. He despised his birthright. Right. He had no use for it. And then he, right. he proceeds to pollute the Torah entirely by going out and marrying these Canaanite women. I mean, it's like, you know, and, right. and, you know, what's amazing about this is that Judah did the same thing. Judah did the same thing. He goes out and marries yes. a Canaanite woman, right? And then he's shocked. It's like, well, what's the difference? I just married a Canaanite woman. And then he has, you know, my three sons, right? And then he tries to bring a Hebrew girl home. And they're like, we're not touching her. We're not going to touch her, right? And so Yah had to straighten the whole thing out. He said, you know, you should have married this Hebrew girl, not this Canaanite woman. I have no respect for the, the, the so-called marriage that you thought you had, 
Your wife's gone, and now your three sons are gone. So here's the woman you should have buried. And she's the one that gives birth to the twins. And then what? What scriptures say? He never touches her again. He never That's touches right. her again, right? You know, Doc, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's that, 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 that sort of uh, that epiphany that I had about the Ten Commandments, right? The first three are about, yeah, then you have the Sabbath. You will keep the Sabbath because you love the first three. The, Amen. The, 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 the fifth is you honor your parents. If you honor your parents, and it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter if you are, you don't even know them. It doesn't matter whatever. It, it matters only because Yah has put them together at a point that you were conceived, and that is Yah's work. It doesn't matter about the people. The people stink anyway, no matter how good or bad they are. <laughs> the point is that if you... <laughs> sorry. But the, the, the point is, I mean, I'm talking about myself, right? I try to be the best dad that I can. But let me tell you, sometimes I have to sit back and think, man, you didn't handle that very well, did you? Oh, man, so, I know the feeling, Chris. I know the feeling, believe me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the point is that, that if, you, if you honor that union, then you will not kill. You will not steal. You will not covet. You will not do all those things because it brings a bad name to, that, to, to, to your parents who, and it's not even about the people. It's just that the union created you, which is Yah himself. And then we start getting what Esau was all about. He was about despising all these things, as Raina says. And, and, and he, 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 well, he just wanted to kick them out, actually. He wasn't, he wasn't interested in any of them. Yeah, he, wasn't interested. he had no interest in that. And, you know, when you talk about this, well, honoring the mother and the father, you know, as Joe was saying, you know, in the show that we did with uh, Jesse uh, here yesterday, or on Thursday, you know, yesterday. And Joe from New Zealand, he was saying, look, the Bible is all about genetics. From cover to cover, it's about genetics. And when you understand that, when you talk about honor your mother and your father, you're talking about honoring your genetic history. That's what you're honoring. You're honoring, your, you know, you're not, you can't honor the man or the woman who's the mother or father because they have no. their own problems, right? But you honor the genetic history because it's a genetic history that is, is what it is. And your genetic history right. goes back generation on generation on generation. Yeah, I've I've got her in, Sherry. Um so and, so, you know, so the other the other point, sorry, Doc, the other point that I'd really like to make, I know that I'm taking way too much time. I'm sorry. You're taking too much time here, Chris, that, but go ahead and make your make your point here. <laughs> sorry, man. You know, <laughs> he says he's he's looking at the helix, right? And uh, and if this is the helix he was looking at, it's exactly what you're saying. But the point is about the helix is that it's Yah who created you within this genetic pool. Now, it, now, we've got to look at that being the genetics. Because when you're in Yahusha, he gives you a different name. So therefore, you are a different person altogether. You are not part of this world. You are part of a heavenly kingdom. Your name is written there. We've got to stand strong because the promise is not of this world. It's of the one to come. And therefore, we've got to believe righteous into righteousness. And that's what can give us this new garment. That's what we're striving for. Because at that stage, it doesn't matter who, what your genetics were. You are yours. 
And there is nothing that can rip you out of that grip. Hallelujah. And, Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's, it's much bigger. This picture, this, this, this Torah is just so much bigger than what we can actually comprehend. It's, it's, yeah, it's I mean, I agree with that. Year. You know, we talked about this last night to some degree. And, you know, whereas you're taught, when you, when, you go, when you come into the church, they're talking to you about guilt and they talk to you about your transgressions and they talk to you about this, that, and the other thing. And you don't realize the, the wide scope of your transgression, which the wide scope of your transgression, which is the irredeemable, is the changing of the DNA, right? And this changing of the DNA, which takes you out of purity into impurity. And when you, when you, when you see that Yah's plan is, Yah understands that we are in the flesh. He understands this. And his commandments are given to bring us life and life abundantly. Not to bring us guilt, but to bring us yeah. life and life abundantly because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And those of us yeah. who seek righteousness, we hunger after the things of Yah. We're, we're not sitting here saying, what, what's the least amount that I have to do so that I can get away with my life and still get into the kingdom of heaven? You know, I want to, I want to get my fire insurance. What's the least amount that I have to do so that I can get away with this other stuff? That is not the approach at all. We quest after, we seek after, we pursue after his way because we are seeking his face. We're seeking righteousness. And that's the difference. I mean, just a quick example that I got to move on, Chris. But, you know, when I was a young man as a musician, you know, there were kids out there whose parents were giving them piano lessons. And these kids were like, I don't want to take piano lessons. Well, mom says you have to go. So they go to the piano lesson. They hate their piano teacher. They hate the piano lessons, but they stay there for 12 years, right? And they barely learn to play. Okay, then there was me and my friends where you couldn't get the instruments out of our hands. Okay, my dad was like, get out of here. You're not practicing that here. You know, shut up, go away, take it out of here. You know, Because I was practicing four or five hours a day, every day as were my close friends. You couldn't get the instruments away from us because we were hungry for it. We sought after that. You know, that's what we were, That that's what our quest was. And that was the difference because those guys, my friends, we were teenagers. Those guys were the ones that became professional musicians because guess what? That's what they loved to do. That's what they wanted to do. And it's the same thing with righteousness. We seek after it. We seek after it. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks again for your, for your great uh, uh, Doc, one more thing. I'd just like to pray for John Bickley, if you don't mind. For, for who? Friend. My friend, John. John, yeah. Let's lift, let's lift him up in prayer. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Father, I just thank you that you bless John, Father, and that you lift up his countenance, that you strengthen him, Father, that you make a way where, there, where, uh, where he's, uh, he's at right now that will bless him indeed and that your face will shine upon him, and that he will be restored in the name of Yahusha Mashiach. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. And I think John really needs to come with me to South Africa to visit you, Chris. That's what I really think. But... Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. We'll, just, we'll just have to see what John thinks about it. Okay. Let's, let's go to the Serena tribe. Thanks, Chris. Hey guys, how are you? Shalom, shalom. Shalom. Family. Uh, excuse our uh, connection here. We're in stormy Santa Barbara, California, so we might cut out. 
But I found some really edifying news you brought up earlier um, about there being one. Oh, no, you froze up just as you were about to deliver the punchline. <laughs> okay, one more time. Let's see if we can get you back there. Can you take your, your video down for just one second? Maybe we can hear your audio. Right, try taking your video down for just one second. There we go. Okay, now, now let's see if we can hear you. Oh, I can't believe it. We had such great bandwidth from you. Now we and now we're not hearing you. Can I just uh, say real quick, we love you, John. Yeah, that's a fact. That's the truth, John. We do. All right. So Serena Tribe, go ahead, put put your video back up. All right, try talking again. Let's see if we got you. All right. Uh, okay, so what's the one thing? We found uh, a second witness to Revelation 21 saying that the bride was uh, New Jerusalem in the Targums of Isaiah 54. It says that the barren woman is New Jerusalem and that the bride is Yahuwah. So it proves two things, that Yahuwah is Yahusha because in Revelations, it says that the lamb is the bride or the bride to the lamb. And in the Targums, it says that the bride is to Yahweh. And yeah, yeah. both Jerusalem. Yeah, very interesting. And there's a third witness to that too. Thank you for bringing that up. And then you say it's the Targums of Isaiah. Yeah. There, there, there's also a third witness, which is in fourth Ezra. There is a woman complaining about the, about the loss of her child and so on and so forth. And then fourth Ezra, it's pointed out to Ezra when he's writing this, that that is Yerushalayim that is being spoken. Right. And ah. so, yeah, this is, it's very, and of course, the question is, what is Yerushalayim? That's another question, right? Well, it's and, plural. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, Yerushalayim is, uh, is, is this place of safety, place of shalom. It's a place of shalom. And uh, so this is, uh, you know, it's something, it's the miracle of Yah that a lot of us don't really see, which is we're the temple built without hands. Stones of the temple built without hands. And uh, so, yeah, it's a very good point. Well, thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. And sorry about the bandwidth issue. Here you brought us, you know, it's like one of those roller coasters that brings you up to the top and then stops. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't, I don't think I want to be on this roller coaster anymore. Oh, yeah, you're on here and you're not getting off the roller coaster until we go down. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that, that for the cliffhanger. Thanks. Appreciate it. Shalom. Okay. All right, let's go to Mark. Hey, Mark, how are you? Come on. All right. Can we hear you, Mark? I can't hear you. And you've unmuted yourself and I can't hear you, which means that you may not have, you're going to have to double check your microphone, make sure that everything's up and functioning because you may not have joined with computer audio when you joined the Zoom. Okay. So stay, stay I'm going to, I'm going to leave you on here and come back to you. See if you can get the audio worked out. Okay. Because I do, I want to hear from you. All right, Mark. Okay. All right. We'll wait for a second. We'll come back to you. Okay. Doug Bassett. 
Where are Shalom. you, brother? Hey, guys. Shalom. I got another one for you. <laughs> okay. All right. Let this is a real goodie in Galatians. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a shorty, but. Uh, okay. See if you can share this. See if, see if you can share the screen, Doug. I think I've got it set up that will allow you to share it. No. Okay. It's, let me see here. <laughs> okay. So this says, oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Try it now. Who can show in some. See if you can see if you can share it now. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. And trying to see which one is. Uh, you keep waiting. I'm going to pull up the white screen so I can do some, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one is which one is which. Uh, I think it's this one. Ah, oh, that's it. Okay. It doesn't tell me which one. It was a picture. Oh, okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. Yeah. Okay. Here All we right. go. So this is Galatians. Okay. Yeah, this is in Galatians, and this is the uh, this is the usual suspects again. This is um, the dragon, uh, Aaron, Yahuwah, and David. But there is uh, uh, I found some other interesting things in there. Uh, this was Yahuwah's name, but it also had a prefix on it in Yahuwah. And then uh, Dalit Noon, in Yahuwah's judgment, is uh, what I came up with here. So um, it's basically showing me that we're in Yahuwah's judgment, and the, uh, the fiery dragon of Aaron's rod, and the rod is right over here, and David has it, is... Um, is uh, coming to uh, uh, judge us. And yeah, uh, we are in his judgment. Dragon and his fire. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's, that's very, very interesting. Right. You know, the last one you showed, uh, Doug, was, um, I thought, very illustrative because you're, you're seeing evidence again in yet another code that Aaron's rod was in the hand of David. Yeah. It's, and, it's in the hand of David over here. But it's it's uh, the uh, the uh, dragon uh, the fire his fire in the dragon is and the uh, yoda the dragon uh, is uh, uh, shared with the uh, yoda and, uh, and David yeah. and David shows up twice along here. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. Now, one thing about Inya's judgment. Now, you have here, so you have ba. Yahweh Dan, right? Looks like Dan. Bet Yahweh Don Don. Yeah, yeah. So, so the bet being in the prefix in, right? And and then of course you have this Yahweh, and then Don, and of course Don being, you know, Don will judge his people, right? Yeah, adjudication. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a very interesting piece, and the dragon and his fire. I mean, that's the first time I've seen that combination together. Yeah, and uh, it, was, it was also in the other one as well, by the way. 
Ah, okay. Yeah. So again, you know, you're talking about that strikes me, you know, when you talk about the dragon, there's one play, there's only one place in the world that has a dragon on an ensign. Yeah. That's Wales, right? Right. And of course the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Prince of Wales, of course, has it on his, uh, has it on his um, coat of arms. Right. But, you know, it was, I think it was in today's Torah portion that I was reading in Hosea, right? In Hosea, in the Torah portion, it's interesting because he talks about in the Torah portion there. He, let me see if I can find it here in a second. He talks about, Hosea is talking and he says, um, let me make sure I got this here this minute. Yeah, he's, he's talking about Ephraim, right? And he's talking about how Ephraim has fallen away and, and so on and so forth. And he says here, this is in, in um, Hosea chapter 13, verse 5. He says, I did know you in the wilderness in the land of great distraught or great drought. According to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, had they forgotten me because they were filled and their heart was exalted. They forgot him. Right. And this is what, and this is actually, somebody sent me a study on the, on mice, that when you give mice everything that they want, you know, you give them all the food they want, you give them all, everything that they ever need, that the mice are dead in seven years. They just die because they have no struggle, right? They have no struggle. Okay. So therefore, what's, what's it say here? Therefore, I will be as a lion to them. As a leopard by the way will I observe them, and I will meet them as a bear bereaved of her whelps, and will rend the call of their heart, and there I will devour them like the lion, the wild beast shall tear them. So here, if you recall, the beast that rises in Revelation 13 is likened unto a lion, right, and a leopard, and a bear. And here we see it in Hosea. Uh, telling us something about this. Now, of course, the lion, the bear, and the leopard also appear in the coat of arms of Charles. So, you know, you have, so you've got some very interesting things here. And this idea of the rod of Aaron in the hand of David and the dragon's fire coming from that to judge in Yahweh's judgment of the nations. Now, this could be telling us something else here too, Doug. That yeah. This this rising person that we may yet see, and I think there is going to be a single persona to rise uh, over the middle of this Nazi fiasco that we're calling the Western world right now. And it will not be Charles, even as much as Charles might think that that's the case. I don't think it's Charles at all. Let's hope not. There's going to be someone who is going to be in the line of David. Now, I have my own theory about this. I've never been able to prove it. But illustrates something that the rod of Aaron was in the hand of David. What's Psalm 23 say? Your rod and your staff comfort me, right? This is David writing that he had, and, and when, when Solomon opens up the Ark of the Covenant, he finds the 10 Devarim and he doesn't find anything else. He does not find Aaron's rod. Why? Because David had taken it. And David takes the rod and the rod would illustrate the authority of the kingdom of David, or the, the authority of the king. When we look at the genealogy of Matthew 1, why are there certain kings excluded in Matthew 1, like Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah? Why are they excluded from Matthew 1? 
because they never held the rod of Aaron. The rod of Aaron went from David to Solomon to Rehoboam and so forth down the line. And when it got to Yehoniahu, Jeconiah, he took the rod with him to Babylon. And from there, that's why Joachim, Joachim, Zedekiah, they never had the rod of, of, of uh, they never had the rod of Aaron in their hand. Jeconiah had it. And it was passed to Shealtiel and then from Shealtiel to Zerubbabel. And then all of these kings who were in exile, who could not hold the throne, until you get to Joseph, the father of Miriam, not the husband of Miriam, the father of Miriam. And Joseph, the father of Miriam, we believe is the name was Joseph, held Aaron's rod. So when Mashiach is born of the seed of the woman, Miriam, Miriam does not hold the rod because she is a woman, but the seed of the woman becomes the Mashiach. And the seed of the woman becomes the Mashiach. And this rod of Aaron is believed to have been taken by Joseph, her father, which we believe is Joseph of Arimathea, took this rod of Aharon and went to the, the land of the Britons. And he took this rod with him. And this rod, if you recall, Aaron's rod, which you see only in the Sefer, but you'll see it is very clearly when Aaron threw down his rod in front of Pharaoh, it didn't become a serpent like it says in the English language. It became a dragon. Tanin, the very word you have set out here, Tanin, it became the dragon. When Aaron tossed his rod down, it became a dragon. This very rod was the rod that, that uh, Joseph of Arimathea brought into Wales, which I believe is the reason why the, the, the dragon is on the Welsh flag because the rod of Aaron was resident in that area. But doesn't the Russian coat of arms have a warrior with a sword on a horse trampling upon the dragon? Well, actually, that is, uh, that's not the, that's actually the flag of St. George. And that is uh, the flag of St. George is seen in Britain. It's seen in Georgia, it's seen in Russia. I think it's even seen in Ukraine that the idea of St. George with the long spear uh, killing the dragon. And what does that tell you? St. George killing the dragon. Well, who's a saint? A saint is, of course, a Roman, right? A Roman exalted persona. Right? And they definitely wanted to kill a rod of Aaron in Britain, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And you see to this day, in fact, if, if uh, Catherine, if you might join in on this for just a second, don't get too far carried away into it. But Catherine Wilmot mm -hmm. will, t will tell us, Doug, about the Holy Grail, which is the line of David in the bloodlines of England, and about how these bloodlines are known. They're well known as to who is a direct descendant of Bran the Blessed and his wife. And his wife was the sister of Miriam, the, the mother of the Mashiach. And so, yeah. He's, yeah so, Catherine, so in that bloodline, would, um, you, would you agree that, that it is well known? That bloodline is well known? It is very well known with the Welsh. Um, as for the Catholic Church, they tried to hide the bloodline a bit because the Catholic Church referred to Joseph of Arimathea as Joachim and St. Anne 
And that was to manipulate history yet again. Yeah, very um, interesting when you say Joachim, right? Because Joachim, Joachim, Joachim. No, Joachim. Yeah, well, Joachim, yeah. But if you look at the Gospel of Nicodemus, which um, our friend Malcolm David would talk about, that mm. the, the, acts of the, the Acts of Pontius Pilate or the Gospel of Nicodemus identifies uh, the father as Joachim, right? Joachim, mm. Joachim. Okay. And so this okay. is, a, a, once again, you have this idea of, and remember that Joseph of Arimathea was also known as Nobilis de Curie, as a member of the Romans. Yes. So he had, now, the name was pronounced yes. in different languages differently. Absolutely. Um, the sad thing is the um, um, Catholic Church lied and said that Joachim and St. Anne, meaning Anna and Joseph of Arimathea only had one daughter, which, which was Miriam, Mary, or Miriam. Um, but they had two, and one was Anna, who married Bullymore, the King of Britain. Now, I have found some manuscripts that says Brian the Blessed was the grandson of Bullymore. And I have found some scriptures that Joseph was the son of Healy. Yeah, that's right. Well, Joseph, the supposed husband, the, the supposed husband of Mary was the son of Healy or Ailey. Healy. Healy, yeah. which Ailey was a Brit, which yeah, funny yeah. enough was a Brit, Brit king. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's very, it's interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting, and I can it's tell you that. Extremely, yeah. As the, I've had a little breakthrough actually while we're on here about the first fruits and tents that ancient manuscripts, um, blessed Tina's working on for us now. I have found it's um, legal legal another document that attaches itself to it but what's very interesting is queen anne henry the second wife bless her she got her head chopped off but i have found she's had a heart for wales and she tried to stop the tithing going to the papacy and uh, personally yeah. mm -hmm. Personally, I believe she had a heart for Wales because she wanted the monies to go back to the clergy of Wales for the poor. And I believe her daughter, Queen Elizabeth I, who had a heart for Joseph of Arimathea, even though her mother died when she was two because she had her head chopped off, had the same heart of her mother. I believe. Anne Berlin knew the history of Joseph of Arimathea in the Welsh lands. And she yeah. completely disagreed with Rome collecting yeah. all the money out of the British churches. But I've, I've actually sent that other document. It should tie in with Tina's document. 
that I found, and hopefully T Tina can get that um, done soon. Um, but the document I found today should tie in with that. And these two documents should tie in with Elizabeth I's letter that I read to you in 1559. Yeah, that quite an incredible letter from Elizabeth I. Very, quite an incredible I letter. I think all these things tie in together and it's, it's just incredible because I think Elizabeth had a heart, a heart after her mother Anne. Even, I, I, don't, I don't think Henry VIII had such a heart. Um, I think he was a tradi traditionalist in the church. But I think these two women, Anne Boleyn and um, Queen Elizabeth, had a heart for truth. Yeah, and they also had the a truth. Anne Boleyn also favored the scriptures in the English language. And uh, which is part of why, why uh, Tyndale was, you know, Tyndale was a very interesting fellow in terms of bringing forward the scripture in the English language. Mm. He brought it mm. forward. And Henry VIII was opposed to that initially. And when we were at St. Paul's, we were at St. Paul's. This is why she got a head chopped Yeah, because supporting the English language for scripture. Yeah, and for her love for truth. And I think yeah. this is where Elizabeth I got her hearts, whether it come down the genes or whatever, she had a heart after Joseph of Arimathea because she also disliked the papacy yeah. from that letter. Yeah. Because I'm looking at the letters from emotions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. I think when, when you look at this, you know, going back to Anne Boleyn and Tyndale, remember that when, that it, when we went to St. Paul's in London, I found evidence that the bishop at St. Paul's in London had denounced Tyndale. I believe it was in 1536. He had denounced Tyndale and said, you know, the scriptures are to be read in Latin and Latin alone, period. And there is no, not to be any English language. But in 1569, the church made it mandatory that only English could be used. Only English could be and so and it, think, it's and, and by the way, the bishop in 1536 burned Tyndale's uh, edition. He burned it. Shocking. And yeah, it's, it is shocking. And so what you see is you see, even though Tyndale ended up becoming a martyr for scripture, he, he was a martyr for scripture to put the scripture in the English language. The uh, in doing so. The, the opening of the door of scripture in English language is what opened the door for the whole of the English-speaking world to excel, to come forward, because they came forward with a truth that Rome could no longer suppress. Because Rome was saying, you don't get, yes. you know, we're going to say, Dominis Vobiscum, you're not going to understand what it is. We know what it means. You don't get to know. We get to read it. You don't. We tell you what to believe. You don't believe in it. Right. Do you know how to go in? Okay, well, come on. Go in or not. I'm going to shut it. Gary, you got to do some other things. Gary, Gary, you got you to mute there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. No problem. Okay, all right. Well, uh, thank you, Doug, for sharing this screen with us and giving us a little fuel for the thought here. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, take hey, that down. Can I jump in and throw one thing in real quick? Yeah, who's this? Uh, Marcus, uh, Serena Tribe. Oh, yeah. Along, 
along the uh, lines of that bloodline, Princess Diana and her husband on their honeymoon went blocks away from where they had uh, made that clone of the sheep Dolly. And if you take Prince William's face and the Shroud of Turin and overlay them, it's an exact match. Not oh, to mention, wow. no matter how you spell Prince Charles' name, it always ends up 666. Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting point that you're making there, Mark. I mean, there's a lot of people who've looked to Charles as saying the potential Antichrist or the number of the beast. Uh, but um, yeah, I can tell you the whole the whole business with William and of course the selection of Diana. Part of the reason Diana was selected was because of her bloodline and her direct links to the Welsh kings. That's part of the reason um, she was Can chosen. I step in there? Okay. Diana might not be the product of the Welsh kings. We've got to remember, her mother had an affair, long-time affair with goldsmiths. I say no more. Okay. <laughs> Catherine, you and I know, you, you and I have had a lot of discussions about the infidelity inside the royal house. And, you know, who knows how many children Philip fathered, right? Am I right? But we do, we 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 do have a um very lovely little bloodline that can actually now prove it with DNA. So it's fabulous. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to see if I can come back here to Mark. Mark, have you got your audio working yet, brother? Let's hear it. I think so. You hear me? Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yes. Yes. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Uh, thank you, Dr. P and Jessica for all you do. Um, and going back to, was it Dave talking about Obama? I recognize uh, that book. You recognize that? This is a yeah, good yeah, book. You all should read this book. That's a good book if you want to know all about Hitler and Obama. Oh, I'll tell you and, what, you and, know, uh, uh, that whole thing, that inquiry, Mark, you know, when I wrote that book, that inquiry just absolutely blew my mind. I mean, I knew that the guy had a problem. And all I was trying to do was illustrate the fact that he couldn't prove he was an American citizen, which he still has not proven, by the way. But when we opened the door, right. we, had, we had a couple of people come in. One was Neil Sankey, who is now deceased. And another is Martha Trowbridge, who I believe is also now deceased. And uh, Martha went to Harvard with uh, Obama, knew him personally. And Neil Sankey was former MI6, whose job was to identify a Nazi persona, you know, war criminals, Nazi people who had survived the war. And he is the one that made absolutely the, the clear-cut uh, declaration that Madeleine Newman was, in fact, Ava Braun. And, you know, if you go back and you look at the photos that he put together, I mean, it's, it's very clear. Madeline Newman was Ava Braun. And so if you understand that Madeline Newman was Ava Braun, and she came into the United States under Operation Paperclip in 1948 and took on a new name. She was sick and tired of living at that stupid palace they had in the woods in Argentina. She didn't want to live there anymore. I think she only lived there for a year and a half. And then she left and went to Brazil. And then from Brazil, her and her daughter came into New York and they took on a new name. And their new name was Newman. And so she became Madeline Newman and her daughter became 
who was Johanna, her daughter became Joanne. Her daughter became Joanne Newman, and Madeline Newman was the mom. Well, Madeline Newman went on to marry a guy who was actually a German spy working at Boeing in Kansas. Stanley Armour Dunnan was his name. And she married him and took on the name Madeline Dunham. And uh, he, he had leaked B-29 secrets to the Germans during the end of World War II, right? This guy was a German spy. And that's how she met him. And their daughter was very radical, Johanna, whose her father was Adolf Hitler, by the way. And Johanna was very, very radical and wild child. And she ran off. And so she, she moved to New York on her own and she was living in New York. And in the 50s, she began to have an affair with a guy who was well-known in the Islamic community, Malcolm X. And Malcolm X uh, was not supposed to be having anything to do with any white girls. And he's having this affair with this 16-year-old white girl. And anyway, right. she, gets, she gets pregnant in 1959. And Malcolm changes his name to uh, Malik Shabazz. Now, I'm in contact with some of Malcolm's family through backroom channels right now. And we have gone through and we've looked at a ton of this stuff, you know, going back through the literature and so on. And anyway, so in 1959, she has a baby. And she's only living like six blocks from Malik Shabazz. Well, Malcolm X's wife knows about this, is not happy in, at all. And she begins having a series of affairs. And so Malcolm is trying to do this thing. Well, in the meantime, the Nation of Islam finds out that Malcolm has had not only had an affair with a white girl, but actually fathered a child with a white girl, which was unacceptable to people like Don Warden and Louis Farrakhan. And so Don Warden, who had taken on an Islam, Islamic name, uh, his name was a Walid. No, I, no, that's not his name was. Um, anyway, I'll have to I'll have to remember a, a Mansour, Mansour, Al Mansour. Anyway, so Don Warden the founding lawyer for the Black Panthers. There's backroom deals made. And in April of 1965, Malcolm X is speaking in downtown Manhattan. And a guy walks up to him with a 10-gauge shotgun and shoots him twice, both barrels from a 10-gauge shotgun at point-blank range. And another guy walks on stage with a 357 and puts five rounds in him, right? They wanted to make sure right. that he did not walk away from it. Well, you know who was outside that meeting was Joanne Newman, his girlfriend, with her five-year-old baby. And she re recognized that part of the reason he was murdered was because of her. So she promptly took the baby and put the baby on a plane and sent him to Hawaii to go to her mother's house. And her mother, who had a daughter whose name was Anne, Anne would become the surrogate mother for this baby. And they took this baby and, and her and her husband, and they went to Indonesia and adopted him. And they adopted him in Indonesia as an Indonesian citizen. He became an exclusive Indonesian citizen when he was adopted by his aunt and her husband. Then they shipped him back to Hawaii, and he go, comes back into California as a foreign student at Occidental. His grades are horrific. Uh, he's selling drugs. We think he was working as a homosexual prostitute at the time. And nonetheless, his mom shows up and says, look, I have close associates in the CIA because the CIA has always been an intelligence agency for Rome. 
It's never been an intelligence agency for the United States. It's been a United States-funded intelligence agency for Rome, staffed by former Gestapo members. And so here comes this, here comes this child of a Nazi, and they come in, we've got the perfect candidate for you. So they brought him into a thing called Operation Pegasus, which was preparing a president of the United States, funded by Sheikh bin Talal, Walid bin Talal. And Walid bin Talal, Talal was very interested in this kid because this kid had desired to go to a madrasa, a Muslim school in Indonesia, where he was trying to become a hafez, someone who could get the entirety of the Quran in Arabic from memory. That's what he was trying to become, okay? So he spoke Arabic. And he spoke Arabic, and he was a, a you know a true dyed-in-the-wool Muslim. And so Bin Talal, Don Warden, Khalid al-Mansur, he comes to Bin Talal and he says, hey, I got the perfect candidate for us. A guy who's a true believer in Islam, who's got the pedigree that goes all the way back to Adolf Hitler on one side, and who's got the Islamic pedigree of Malcolm X on the other side. He's the perfect candidate. Let's bring him in and massage this guy. So they brought him in and he adopted and took on the name at that point illegally. There was no official name change. Although if you look in the Obama era, you'll see the front page opens up with a name change from Mansoor, which was the original Islamic name that he tried to take to Barack Hussein Obama that was done in a place called Skookumchuk, British Columbia, which is a post office in the middle of nowhere. Okay, but here comes this name change, which Jerome Corsi denied. He said, oh, that's a false document. Well, you can deny it if you want, Corsi. It probably is a false document, like everything else in the record of Barack Hussein Obama. But nonetheless, the document existed. And it and I've seen British. I was married in British Columbia, so I know what a British Columbian document looks like. That's a British Columbian document. So here you see that here comes Barack Hussein Obama totally artificial name, massaged by the CIA, funded by Sheikh bin Talal. They create a record saying he went to Columbia. He never went to Columbia. He was in the same class with Michael Barone and George Stephanopoulos in the same degree program. They never saw him ever in any classroom. No, no delicatessen ever sold him a sandwich. Nobody ever rented him an apartment. He was never in Manhattan. And he comes out with a Columbia degree. From Columbia... Yeah. Dr. P, hey, I'm trying to sell your book and you're giving it all away. I want, I want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, the best parts okay, are in there. Raina, Raina wants to know where to get it. I got mine on Amazon. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. It's fantastic. It's got it. Hey, Dr. P. It's not fantastic Greek. Yeah, Randall. Um, you remember the talk you did with those two lawyers in that restaurant where you went into great detail? Do you did you get a copy of that, or is there a way to find out where to get a copy of that? Oh, I have no idea where that video is, Randall. No idea. And that was oh, that and those two lawyers, right? And those those two lawyers. I mean, they're great people. I mean, I love those two. They invite me into the macaroni hey. dinner. Yeah. yeah, Mark. So that was an excellent so video. I I just love all the all the information everybody's bringing in here. And Dr. P, you're. Your little historical nuggets are priceless. They're not nuggets, the gold mine. Anyway, in light of all this Nazism we're facing in the bad times ahead. Yeah. Um, I'm I want to ask you a question. 
if uh, or some advice because here's what I want to do because this is what works for me. I call it first things first. Um, and I start here, start with these first four words in the beginning, Elohim. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. First yeah. Things mm-hmm. First things first. First things first. If we can get there, we can get to uh, other first things, you know, first commandments and so on and so forth. So I want to do this thing called first things first right now com okay and this is a this is intended to be a very in your face here is what my society is going to look like my Torah society our Torah society if we're going to have a real human society it's going to be Torah based absolutely it has to be or or I don't want to live there right so is it wise is it wise for me to step out in a public square in front of these Nazis and say, hey, first things first, right here. Well, you know what, start. Mark, I'll tell you. Is that is wise, wise to do right now, or am I making myself a target? Well, of course, of course you're making yourself a target, but guess what? You're a target anyway. You know, did anybody show you that that's t-shirt right. that you wear around that's got the big target on the back? I, I guess they haven't shown you that. Yeah. <laughs> But but the truth is, the truth is is that we you know we're we're all we're all we're already identified. They know who we are, and we already have targets on our back. So, but the fact is, we're going to be talking about this up here in Alaska. We're talking about creating a Torah community, and we're going to create the Torah community, and we're going to create it as a series of white papers. You know, first things first, if you will. That we have to begin. We have to we have to allow the Torah to infect the community. Okay, the Torah has to infect the community. Not yes. the, yeah, we're going to we're going to bring you know it's like the healthy body, the healthy antibodies overcoming the viruses and the diseases. The 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 Torah is the healthy antibody that's going to overcome the virus and diseases of Nazism. And in order to do that, we have to continue to water that garden. We have to water that garden, and we water that garden with with by giving the truth and setting forth the truth and live it. You know, here's how you spread the Torah: live your life. In, in, in accord with it. And by living your life in accord yeah. with it, that spreads to your friends and your family and that they might too live their life in accord with it. You know, of course, people are so resistant. And of course, now we have a, we've got the zombie apocalypse going on in the world where everybody's, you know, taking a jab and losing their mind and being given over to a reprobate mind. But in, but notwithstanding the fact, we still have to like, we, we have to do this where I live. We have a huge challenge. We have, uh, we've got, uh, a bunch of insane uh, left-wing Nazis running Anchorage that are intent on making Anchorage Portland. Now, why they why they see Portland as desirous is beyond anybody's imagination. Well, these but, people are everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, they, and they're this everywhere. is what they want to do. They want to take the world and turn it into uh, some tent city full of homeless people defecating in the street. I mean, that's what they that's what they love. That's the environment they want. And it's up to us to not bring that. It's up to us to express to them, look, this is sacred ground. And, and we do it by we do it by speaking the truth. You know, to be able to speak the truth, for instance, that climate change and Gaia worship is idolatry and heresy. I mean, that has to be known. And if that's known, you know, people, the people that are in these movements, they don't know they worship the earth. 
They don't know they're worshiping Gaia. They don't know they're worshiping climate change. But every decision they make is about stopping the climate from changing. Therefore, you have to be in a bus. Therefore, you can't have a car. Therefore, you have to live in an ant farm over your workplace. Therefore, there's no more living out in the wilderness. You all have to, everybody has to be in an inner city. You know, they've reached all of these conclusions predicated on the fact that somehow they are going to be Elohim who changes the climate. Right. And so this is part, this is how we puncture that balloon. We have to puncture that balloon with a sharp needle and bring the Torah behind it. So what I would say to you is this, Mark, the work that you've, you have to keep this in mind. In the Torah community, many people do not know the elements of the Torah. They don't know how to live a Torah-driven life. And so the work that you're doing on any website is going to bring that knowledge. And you should not be afraid of that because you're not here to edify the zombies who are going nuts right now. We've got a reprobate mind. You're not going to convince them of a thing ever. You cannot convince someone who is insane that they're insane. You can't do it. It's impossible. So as so as a consequence, you're not going to influence them at all. But who you will influence are people who are trying to figure out, how do I live a Torah-managed life? How do I do it? What does it mean to be called out? What does it mean to walk in the way? What's that look like? You know, what does, what does keeping the Shabbat look like? What does keeping the feast look like? What does, uh, you know, what does a covenant marriage look like? What, uh, you know, what do these things look like? What does it mean to respect your mother and your father? What does it mean to not covet after your neighbor's stuff? What do, what do these things mean? And, you know, for somebody to be able to come forward and teach on this, you're teaching the Torah community. And, and in teaching the Torah community, guess what? You also teach yourself. I mean, none of us are gurus. We know the Torah inside now. We can just speak 100% of it. None of us are that guru. Every time we teach the Torah, we learn something. We learn something new. We unfold the onion a little bit more. We learn another layer. So I would encourage you, you recognize you already have the target on your back. Do what you're supposed to do. Second Thessalonians 2. Don't be troubled in letter or spirit that the end of the world is coming. Just keep going. Ken. Okay. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. Okay. All right, Mark. I'm glad you got your mic fixed, man. Good to hear from you. Okay. Yeah. Alicia. <laughs> Alicia, where are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, great. I'm in another room. My 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 headphones allow me to mute, so it's awesome. Um, so I can be away from the computer. <laughs> hey, oh, cool. I, I have a couple things. Um, I guess it's it's ironic that Mark uh, was just before me because I forgive me if I'm a little bit long winded. I have asthma. Um, I have been contemplating my own walk. Uh, I live in a home of non-believers. I can't escape from that yet. So I've been praying for Yah's guidance on on what to do. Um, and I was led to uh, the first chapter of Second Peter. And boy, does this help Mark. Okay. If you'll bear with me, I'd like to read a little bit of this. Okay. Absolutely. Um, okay. So second Peter chapter one, I'm going to start at um, verse four, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the nature of Yahweh 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, and I looked diligence up in its moral excellence. So giving all moral excellence, add to your belief virtue, and virtue is um, self-control, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. I'm sorry, temperance is self-control. Um, vir uh, virtue is loss of temper. So giving uh, moral excellence, um, self-control, loss of temper, uh, be patient um, under the fear of Yah, and to the fear of Yah, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you and abound, that they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Adonai Yahusha HaMashiach. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see far off. So I go back at this and I, I see when I get angry or when I don't have control. And this has really calmed me down in this walk. So I'm and I've learned so much through many people about Yah. And, and this is this is a testimony that this is true. <laughs> so but outstanding says, word outstanding <laughs> word yeah yeah well and, listen to this part it says but he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see far off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins wherefore rather brethren give diligence which means earnest effort to make your calling mark and election sure for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And right when Mark said that, you know, do I have a target on my back? Don't you think Peter had a target on his back when he wrote this? <laughs> he oh, sure oh, yeah, did. Definitely. Yeah, he okay. did. Sure did. So in, in my, that's up to you and Yah, Mark. But I'm just saying, I read that and I thought, wow, maybe this is a word for you. Um, so I wanted to say one more thing here about Second Peter. Um, oh, well, chapter two goes into what the wicked people have been doing to us. But I, I think it's worth if you guys read this uh, right now. It's a study second Peter, I got to tell you. But my question also is, is in chapter two, verse seven, and, it, and this is for you, Dr. P. It says, um, and delivered just, well, let me go to six. And turning the cities of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, or Sodom, whatever you want to call it. Sodom and Gomorrah, sure. Sodom and Gomorrah, okay. Into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live in wickedness. So that was an example. I think this Sodom and Gomorrah is coming again. Okay, and I'll, I'll go into that in a second. Um, and delivered just yacht, just lot. And the, in, the, in the sepher, it says, vexed with the filthy conversation of the Taurus, Taurus, 
And then it says that in the in the Strong's that this is G or Greek 2669, this vexed. Okay. But in verse eight, it says, for the righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day. So Lot's vex is Greek 928. And I was wondering why there are two words using vexed, but they have two Greek definitions for seven and eight. And I, I, that's one thing I wanted you to address, but, but bear with me one second before you do that, okay? Well, I'll um, just say this. You got to keep in mind with the Greek, okay? Okay. That the Greek is, I believe the Greek is a translation from the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, you have there's a lot of extrapolation in the Greek. And you do see this. You see, for instance, let me give you an example. Every Greek word has got two or three roots. Mm -hmm. And so you can see a different word in the Greek that may come from the exact same root. And the and so and also you have to keep in mind too with the Greek that the Greek is a, a very complex language. In fact, anything in the Cyrillic is complex. And so when you're looking at uh, the Greek stuff, to give you an example, you know, you're talking about uh, the different declinations of the, of the word, and the different declinations of the word, depending on the tense of the word, and also depending upon whether or not it's case. And so in the Greek, you have things like genitive, accusative, uh, interrogative, there's five different cases of the words that exist in the language, and the declination is different. So when it, the word may appear different, but it's not different. You just have a different, uh, you have, uh, it looks different, but it's not. It's because you have a different declination of the same term. Okay. And even though, but even the declinations, I mean, this is one of the things about Greek is that Greek is not, uh, it's not the language that Hebrew is. Hebrew is a sacred language. Hebrew is the language of the priests. And Greek is not. Greek is okay. a secular language. So I hope that right. answers your question. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just a couple things and then I'll shut up. But I, I kept thinking about the Sodom and Gomorrah and how, uh, you know, you say um, that we are in Yah's judgment. Okay. Well, that that means wrath, right? I mean, in a sense, doesn't it? That well, yeah, judgment... it can. Yeah, I mean, when Yah judges, he judges, you know, uh, and sometimes it's wrath. I mean, mm. For some of us, it's going to be trial by fire, right? Okay. Well, I say... away from the silver. All right. <clears throat> well, I started putting together that, that a lot of people are saying some things here. So keep Sodom and Gomorrah in your mind when I say... Uh, and then we have the judgment and we also have wrath. Well, the wrath is for them and the judgment might be for me, but, uh, or, or for those believers that are, are Torahless, they still believe, but they've fallen. Right. But anyway, so you mentioned um, everything is being stolen from the people by many countries. The money going out to, to the Ukraine is simply money laundering. They're getting out. They know the economy is going to crash. And so they're getting out as much money as they can and convert it to whatever they, you know, feel they need and expenses. The same with the Pope. Uh, 
he got all the money out of uh, the churches to be sent back to Rome because the money is going to crash, which we all know. They've been building bases and underground facilities forever. Um, <clears throat> they are trying to hide from this wrath, in my opinion, that's coming. The um, uh, Banoon reported and, and China's reported that they have a base on the moon and uh, you know, many people have stated that there are spaces on the moon. Well, recently um, they've been captured sending water to the moon for the space bases uh, from America. They were stealing our water. Also, I found out that they're stealing our water to water the crops of um, Saudi Arabia. They've purchased a bunch of land here and in Texas and Arizona and California, and they're growing alfalfa for their cattle. So they're diverting all of our Colorado River water to water this field of alfalfa. And uh, a lot of that has been going on. So they don't care, they're thieves. And, um, you know, they've been taking our money to build all their, their facilities. Then we have the Deagle report that shows um, mostly the five eyes. USA, UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, with depleted populations. Of course, they don't tell you why, but we know it's war, plagues, famine, earthquake, volcanoes, um, no water, no food. Um, <clears throat> Mike from around the world recently said that um, when you see lawmakers disappear, they're being replaced with complete idiots or unknowns. And boy, did we get some doozies this last election. So these politicians are starting to go into hiding, in my opinion. Um, Mike has also stated he didn't say the word Planet X, but he has said a uh, something is coming starting January 5th. Uh, some say that it's Planet X or the solar system that's moving through. Uh, Banoon states that there is demonic activity on this planet X, that they live there. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it is coming. Something is coming. And this is where the climate change is going to happen. Um, the red dust will, you'll see first, the winds, and that might last a few weeks to a month, but then you'll start to see the crop failure. The water is now going to be poisoned. And I thought of the movie uh, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise when everything was red, because that's what it's going to look like. And I wondered if that movie was, you know, how they do their thing. So, um, well, I mean, let me just share this with you, Alicia, because I can tell you when you talk about Mike from around the world and you talk about Steve Benoon. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Steve Benoon is a good friend of mine. I know. And, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and both he and Yano, and uh, and we actually have had some very personalized discussions in the last couple of weeks because, of course, Yana's father died. Right. Yes, I I watched what he says. Yeah, and uh, but but here's the thing about Stephen is that a lot of times he posts stuff that just simply does not come true. Period. Yes. You know, there was supposed to be a comet that was going to hit Puerto Rico two years ago, and then last year it was supposed to do it again, and it didn't, and. So, you know, Stephen is, he reports the intel that he's given. And a lot of this intel is good. Some of it, not so good. Correct. And uh, same thing with, from Mike around the world. And, and we get a lot of posting there. And, you know, all I can tell you is, is that 
you know, I think that this the stuff that Gil Broussard has talked about with Planet 7X, and I, I think Gil's research is quite good. I mean, he shows a, an historical record that is very sufficient. I mean, one of the great records that it goes totally ignored in Britain is that there was something that came over the top of Britain around 580 AD that fried the whole country for 10 years. Right, with King Arthur and all that, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you could call it a comet, you, you can call it an asteroid, but it was something that fried the whole, that fried the, the entirety of the British Isles. They couldn't grow for 10 years. All right. Now, there also, the, the Colburn also records an event around the time of Moshe that was totally distressing to Egypt. So we see something, there's something going on in the record that appears to be a tribulation type event. And then you have the scriptures say the tribulation in those days will be unlike any other tribulation. The tribulation that's coming is going to be worse than anything ever seen on the planet, at least in this latest 6,000 year period. So with that happening, uh, you know, all I can tell you is, is that, you know, I'm not going to be fearful of a stinking thing. You know, no. Yah has Yah has worked miracles in my life in the last two years that have been huge. I hear you, Dr. Absolutely P. wonderful that have been beautiful yeah. what, what Yah has done. And so even with these things coming on the earth, okay, I mean, you know, I personally believe that when we were up in heaven, we picked this time. When do you want to be on the earth? When do you want to have your test on the earth? Oh, I want to do it. I want to do it during the tribulation, right? You picked it. You're here, right? So right. stop belly aching. You came well, here for such a time as this. Right. Well, even if it's not red dust, even if it's not Planet X, it's it's something to have in the back of your mind to to if you see it, you understand it. But I'm not fearful of it. I'm going to walk through this fire oh, that's you. coming. I hear okay. You. I hear you. Oh, yeah. Now, but, but I, I have to say this to because uh -huh. I don't want you to I don't want you to feel that I'm being negative about, about what you're saying here. I don't want you to well, feel that way. Dr. Because Pete, here's I, the thing. I think I know. much of what you're saying may be very true. I mean, I think there's there's an historical record that supports the claims made by Gil Broussard. He, he, he keeps wanting to set a date. It's going to happen this year. It's going to happen here. It's going to happen there. Mike around right. the world wants to set a date. That it's going to happen here. It's going to happen there. One thing we do know that is a certainty, Beetlejuice has entered into a supernova. This right. is a certainty. This we know. Mm -hmm. And NASA is scared to death of this supernova because they've never seen anything like it. And when you see it, if Beetlejuice is 6 million years away, which I don't believe it is, but let's say it is, then what you're seeing is you're seeing something that traveled that happened 6 million years ago, and that's now in our face. Do we know what the result of that is going to be? We have no idea. For all we know, it fries the whole earth. Remember, what does Peter say? That before the earth was destroyed by flood, the next time the earth shall be destroyed by fire. Yes. Right? That's yes. what he says. And right. so, and the thing is, I do believe that when I look at the wickedness of men, the wickedness of men all hinges around this God that they believe in called AI. They believe in a digital world. They believe in an AI. They believe that this is our savior, that they have created something that is greater than God in this AI. And Yah is going to destroy it in a single breath with the breath of his coming. The whole kit and caboodle will be gone. Every aspect of it will be burned up. Everything will be completely fried away. And the people who know how to live are going to survive. And the people who don't know how to live, who can't get in a car without their GPS, who can't walk, who can't drive, who can't function, who can't farm, who can't fix, they know nothing because all they know is their computer screen. 
And when that's all they know, they're not going to be able to survive. It is the people that remember how to live. Come on, David, John Barr. You guys remember before there was computers? We got along. I do. <laughs> I do. You remember? We, yeah. we lived... We lived in a way that was like, great. We didn't have answering machines. We didn't have somebody pestering us on a cell phone. We were able to be alive human beings and to walk the face of the earth and do things. Now we're a controlled computer chip. We, we are more numbered than the tenants of Auschwitz. More numbered and more controlled than the tenants of Auschwitz. We don't have the, the, the barbed wire around us. They don't need to have the barbed wire around us. We trapped ourselves in our own prison. Yeah, you don't think so? Walk away from your cell phone for for a while and see what your prison looks like. Yeah, and as Second Peter states, we are their merchandise, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I say all this because I've been trying to figure out what my walk is going to be, and because I don't have a walk yet, I don't have friends, and I don't have life outside of my home too much. I'm retired and. It's just, it's sort of lonely, right? And so, yeah, I could try something online, but I'm not, I haven't been led for that. So I kept asking, yeah, what am I to do? What am I to do? And as I'm learning these things, I will say, whether it's Planet X or Red Dust or whatever, I know that volcanoes are happening. Oh, I know sure. that earthquakes are happening. It seems I know like that the whole famine, Earth's surface is breaking up right now. That's right. And I know that famine is happening. And I know we're running out of water, right? I mean, these are facts. So I kept freaking out. Am I, and then that's where he led me to Peter, to Second Peter. Stay calm. Stay calm. And even I'm a, a canner. I, I'm a gardener. I, st I have stored a lot of water. Uh, you know, I'm going to do what I can, but I'm not, I'm going to walk through this fire. Uh, people have talked about testimonies I heard with even Banoon, something I had already heard where their cars were going to hit each other and they went right through it and they didn't die. This is going to be us, I feel. We will walk through the fire. We will not. I will become invisible to the Chinese army. I will have food on my table when I pray and ask y'all for food. I'm not going to worry about getting food. So it's so true. That is just the truth. They're standing there looking, where are they? We want to find these people and they can't even see you. That's they right. Can't see you with you standing right in front of them. Right. So I'll end with this, but I was curious what your uh, thought was. Do you believe the antichrist is an AI and not a man? And will I believe this falling away has already really taken effect, but I believe if we have some of this famine and fire, because Yah says that he brings fire. So and and they're in their caves, right? They're gonna be in their bunkers, but Yah's gonna shake them out. But um I'm just wondering if you think it's AI or a man that we will see and if he's here already. And I think that it's an AI and that it's here already. But will it be revealed the way we really think it is? Yeah, I and, think I don't think it will be revealed the way that we have been taught. We've been taught revelation from a myopic form before it was revealed. And now it's really being revealed. And as it's being revealed, I think the AI is a big part of it. And I also believe that, I mean, the AI is, I believe, is the beast, is the beast. But you have other prophets. You have other false prophets and you have other players, the man of lawlessness, the vile person, 
you know, uh, the son of perdition, etc. And these people are also being revealed. They're also being revealed. And I think these are people. And I do think that this worldwide persona that we're going to see that is going to rise as a ruthless dictator, in my opinion, I think he will be a ruthless dictator, will be a woman pretending to be a man. Not a man pretending to be a woman, right, right. but a woman pretending to be a man. Yeah. And I think we're about to see that happen. And well, so, you know, I, I just think for the body of our of, of us right here, when we start seeing the the cards, uh, you can't fly, uh, you can't buy food. Don't be fearful. Go back and read uh, first uh, second Peter chapter one. You know, Yah wants us to have faith. And this is really going to come strong. The faith is really going to blossom. And as long as we as we walk according to his ways. But I, I just I just be I was comforted. That's all. And so um, I, I will um, end with that. But uh, I just, you know, had to get my two cents out there. <laughs> yeah, thank no, I uh, thank you for that, Alicia. Thank you for your word on that. Uh, I, I do appreciate it. And I think you're right. I think it's a good word of comfort to know that. Yes. I mean, they're very close right thank now. Thank you, Alicia. There you go. Thank you, Mark. You're and welcome. Because I think that when we get into, you know, they're talking about 2023 as being the date where you either prove you're vaccinated up to speed with the WHO commands, or you cannot get on a plane. And so that's coming very, very quickly. Well, Dr. And P, I see you walking on that plane without a ticket, walking through doors without them even seeing you. That's how we should pray. We need to claim that boldness for you. If it's Yaz will. Thank you, Alicia. Appreciate that. Thank you, sister. Okay, let's go to Tina. Tina, how are you? I can't hear you. Try now. Shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Oops. Uh, okay, so I have a few things to say because I've been listening to all everybody. Um, the first thing is, Mark, I have that book as well. And with Dr. P's edition, what he was saying, now you know why Obama was bowing to everybody in the Middle East when he went over there. It was like right after he got elected. And Chris with deceivement, uh, deceivement's all over the place now. And we, we need to discern everything that we see and give it to Yah. Because everything is going to come out as a good thing when it's really not. I've been I've been doing that a lot. I don't just jump. I'm waiting, and I pray about it. And working with Catherine is absolutely amazing. It was so fun to sit with that professor yesterday over that document. So now, Dr. P, I'm just waiting for you to tell me what to do now um, with it. Well, I'm going to be I'm going to decipher some of the document myself, Tina, because um, uh, Catherine does have a English transcript of it that the gal in Australia did. And oh, so, uh -huh. so I'm going to be able to look at some of the Latin more intensely. I have some idea about what's going on in the Latin already, um, but I want to see more of it. 
and uh, be able to see if we can come to a, a more specific conclusion as to what exactly is being said. And um, I thought that was amazing about, you know, with this, how do you say that word, Dr. P? Moravingian. Say again? Moravingian. Moravingian, yeah, that word. Moravingian, yeah. That was yeah, the amazing, Vingian. all this stuff with, with Gaul and, oh my gosh, it was what I, what I showed you last night that I saw. So I'm ready Sorry. for another. I'm ready for another direction, Catherine or Dr. P, whatever. Give me research um, to do. Yeah. No. Um. Can I step in here, Stephen? I'm for not second, sure that. Um. I'm not sure that government official in Australia was correct. Oh yeah, I know. But the thing is, I want to take a look at the transcript itself, not the interpretation, but mm. the transcript. Mm. Because somebody was able to decipher the uh, to decipher the, the Latin letters. In other words, it was red, even though they were wrong about the words, but it was red. And that will give yes. me a chance to, to look through the letters and see what's there. Okay. Was it was it still medieval then? Medieval Latin? Well, it's medieval. I mean, I mean, the thing is when you talk about medieval Latin, where you're talking about more of Indian Latin, more of Indian Latin is four hundred to seven hundred AD. And medieval Latin is going to be 700 to 1100 AD. So there's kind of a distinguish. You can't put them both in the same barrel, if you will. Um, and so uh, the question is, it didn't strike me as being earlier than 500 AD. And the quality of the writing. I mean, if you look at the moratorium fragment, you'll see that the, the, the writing is much sloppier and more archaic. The Latin was very, very much archaic, a, a very... Um, well, it's not crafted well, and this seems to have well-crafted Latin. So I, you know, so I need to take a, a much closer look at it to see exactly what's there, and then we're going to try to. And then some of the, uh, the the discussion points, for instance, this is definitely a post-AD document. It's discussing Mashiach, you know, in the premises. So that's one of the things that's uh, an aspect to it, and then the discussion of Joseph and what that discussion may be. Well, that's what we really need to find out what that discussion is. But we're going to find, I think, the kinds of things that we're finding right now are really, um, you know, it's it's outstanding in one respect, but it's also scary in another respect because it's showing us things that many of us may not want to accept as a reality, you know. And they're certainly they're, they're running contrary to the things that we have been taught traditionally inside the church when the church tells us, Oh, it means this, it means that it means the other thing. And it may be something in fact, quite different than that. And uh, you know, what I'm discovering is, is that we've had a tremendous amount of what we call of what Malcolm David referred to as Roman overwrite, mm -hmm. Roman overwrite. And the Roman overwrite is quite significant. And we're going to see it's not in the places where you might think it is. The Roman overwrite has to do with uh, how they construe uh, how they construe the places and the names, okay? Because one of the things I noticed very quickly in the in the New Testament is that the names have all been protected, have been erased to protect the innocent. Right. Like, let me give you an example: Mashiach converts water to wine at a wedding. Whose wedding? How come we don't get the names? The mm -hmm. disciple comes to Mashiach and says, I want to come with you, but I have to bury my father. What was his father's name? What was the disciple's name? Why don't you tell us? 
Why don't you tell us what Peter's wife's name is? You know, why don't you tell us what the name of the centurion is? Why are these names deleted? Deleted, 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 deleted. They won't give us these names. They won't tell us these names. And I do think the names were present. And I think that Rome was the one that deleted them. And, you know, and so on one hand, they deleted the names in order to keep the record from being well known. And then I think they changed the situs of the places. And so all of this was done because, and, and I'm not going to say it was all done out of evil either. There may have been decisions made that were the result of calamities that were coming on the earth at that time that caused them to make some of these decisions. And again, but well, one thing we one thing is certain, we do know for sure, Rome went out of their way to destroy any competing record. They burned every library they could find so that they were the ones writing history, period. And uh, Augustine himself made his reputation on burning by burning Hebrew documents. So what's that tell you? There is something there about uh, the guilt, the guiltiness of Rome. That what they did to the to the historic record and they did and then they then they promoted ignorance as part of the Roman way. The Roman way is you don't read. We read, not you. Right. We tell you what it says, not you. And, to, and that's the case in the Christian church, in the Catholic church, to this very day. You oh, don't yeah, read the they Bible. Don't, they don't take any Bibles in the church with them at all. They just walk yeah. in. We'll tell you what it says. You don't read it. It's up to us to read it, not you to read it. And so as a consequence, it is this nonstop promotion of ignorance as a matter of doctrine. As a matter of doctrine. Why would they want that? Because they're trying to hide something. And, and That's the why they don't want you to know. In that document that we were discussing last night, did you see the word Ivri? I think it was in the, the words, second line. The word the Ivri, word? did you see it? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I could figure out that one. So, and then you said you were going to send me something. So I'll be waiting for that. Okay. And okay. then also, I want to say that Joe that was on with you and Jess. I really like him and he's very humble and I hope she brings him on again. And it's he's very humble, but I have to tell you, Tina, the message he brought was a difficult message. He yeah, was very humble and very gentle and very kind, but the message was a difficult message. But it's worth talking with him again, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, his message, I think is true. And I mean, I agreed with everything he, every conclusion he reached, you know. I thought he was awesome and just so, so, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when somebody, you just watch them because they're so, like, calm. Humble. Well, humble. Yeah, humble. But, but yeah. like, calm. Yeah, then, he's a very humble man. And Absolutely, and, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. And, but anyway, so my last thing to say is yes. I'm digging the time that we're living in now because things are being unveiled. Like it says in Luke 18, right? Things will be unveiled. And just like the Euphrates drying up, there's a reason why all this is happening. And there's a reason why all this extra stuff is being discovered. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. There's things being unveiled. 
And it's awesome because I think it's meant to be that way. Yeah, it's meant to be that way. And of course, the thing is that as this is happening, and this is the thing that we all have to kind of deal with, do we have the mentality that can accept the truth when we find it? Can we do that? You know, when these things are unfolded, then we go, well, uh, that's too much for me. I got to get out of here. You know, I can't listen to it. too much for me. Okay. All right. All right. I'm glad to hear everybody's got the strength to handle this. But everybody use discernment over things because the deceivement's just going to be hitting you like flying arrows. Just take it to you, sit and think about what it is because they're going to show it a lot of things as good things that are really not good. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Right. And, and and what do, what does it say? The deception will be so great that even the righteous might be deceived. That's right. right. Yeah. All right, Dr. P, yeah. thank you very much. Thanks, Tina. Okay, David, how are you, brother? Hey, shalom, Stephen. Shalom. I, uh, I have had a mountain of stuff to, to speak, but I don't think I have time, so... Uh, I want to thank the individual on this assembly that uh, told me about the can see eye drops that I went straight away after Baraka enforced that with another witness. And uh, they're driving out, it's driving out the cataracts. And with the prayers that started off with, um, uh, with the brother that started off with not having surgery, that's what I was resisting. But the regime, the establishment was trying to muscle me into into doing it so I could get my driver's license. Well, that gave me a witness to uh, the doctors. I got to tell the doctors, well, un, 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 unhinged uh, what the Asclepius was is, and how ah. they're being used, how they're being used by the tunnel vision to cause genocide. And uh, they just, they're, they're with their mouth open and they, and they got to where they couldn't deny it. Well, that was real interesting. <laughs> I'd have loved to have been there for that one. <laughs> Hallelujah. Gave me an audience. Before I go on and forget this, uh, Mary uh, don't have asthma. Resistance. And from here, uh, judgment's coming first to your house, beginning with the elders. Well, there's a lot of elders that need prayer. And why, why is that? Well, they influence so many, the elders, the people in charge of the house, the house of Yahuwah. In the, in the 10 maidens that were waiting, and only five went with the bridegroom, well, that's just a remnant of the 10, and the 10 points to the, the 10 northern tribes of Yashrael. Well, there's some that rise first, and then there's a time spread where the ones that arrive and remain rise, but it sure does look like they have to, they have to go through some of the fire to get there in the judgment that comes first to the house. Well, then I went to Lift up your head, O ye gates, and the sovereign of esteem will come in. Well, who are the gates? Well, it only speaks of the 12 gates in, into the, the, the city of Yah. And those gates are 
12,000 per gate, according to uh, understanding that I have. And that may mean a whole lot more than what I know now, but each gate isn't really an understanding of its position in the wall until a certain time. Until then, the remnant of Ephraim. And the remnant of Ephraim is moving into a, a position of becoming that of becoming that identity, becoming the identities of who, the, who, who we are. The 12 gates. Lift up your head, O ye gates, and the sovereign of esteem will come in. Speaks of the testimony of Yahushua given to the remnant. Well, that also points to a particular time. The time that is coming uh, this is this is something that I don't want to have a whole lot of conflict about, but it, there there is a lot of conflict about it. That the altar that's that it, that is approaching being set up by Yehuda. Yehuda is still veiled by Yahuwah. and the battle that the wrath that's poured out isn't poured out until that altar is 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 eliminated then that wrath is poured out and i mean heavy duty on the odor okay we're so much so that they got to escape through the wall not over it now that's a big deal so my understanding is don't come against that altar no matter what the tradition is that is normally accepted most of christianity is going to come against it most a, a whole lot of uh, other things are going to come against it because well we know that there's been an offering already and it's once and for all well yehuda that's partially veiled doesn't see it and we didn't partially veil them and the devil did didn't partially veil them so you don't want to come against what Yahuwah is doing. Now, we know that things have come in a different time frame for us because we have a different, we have grown in revelation understanding. And we're seeing things at a rapid rate right now. Praise Yahuwah. The issue now is wait upon Yahuwah. Wait upon his revelations because he's the one that gives the increase, not us. Now, we're, we're just sowers and waterers. Anyone that thinks he's more than a sower or a waterer needs to re-examine himself because there is no respecter of any man's person. And, we, and any respect of any man's person is a measure of idolatry, idolatry. And, yeah, there you we, go. Need to, and we need to cease that and identify it so that we don't get caught with a flattering tongue or a spirit of divination. That's a that's an interesting battle, just like the battle of battle and wrath and jealousy. It comes in a way that in my life I gave way to it and opened my, my myself up to a defeat after defeat. But until he gave me the understanding of causing me to not get caught up in wrath and causing me to have the will and the do to stay in his shalom, I, I, I just was caught up and defeated by that. 
But now, having the confession of I'm a new creation in Yahushua HaMashiach, and I'm not subject to those things, because my my portion is for Yahuwah to cause me to walk in the straight gate in the narrow way, because it's no longer I that lives, but the anointing that lives in me. You know, I, I, certainly, if I said I, I'm not a sinner, well, I was a sinner, and uh, I mean, big time sinner. Uh, outlaw chop Charlie Davidson writer in the 60s in Austin, Texas, and then a uh, uh, crazy wild man in Alaska. Uh, most of those most of those compadres in those days are all dead because sin killed them. Absolutely. I know what you're talking and, about. And, and and I'm I'm so thankful that he's preserved me and also has given me the hope of the salvation of my whole house. Now, my family have entered into uh, some, some problems by taking one of the, uh, the, the vaccines. But he told me, he says, now, don't return to them. They'll return to you. And I'll cause that to happen. And you will be my mouth. Well, there's nothing more that I want to be is, is him being able to speak through me because it's no longer I that lives, but the anointing that lives in me. That's my portion. To, to be about his business. Hallelujah. Oh. Now, I want to thank everyone for interceding for me because these cataracts are taking a hike, leaving. And this high blood pressure is coming down. And in the midst of all that, I'm able to be a, a noisy instrument and sound sound the good news of his, of his redemption to several people. And that started even this morning, just walking out to take my dog to the yard. Hallelujah. Yeah, awesome. yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. And thank you all. Hallelujah. Shalom <laughs> with all of you guys. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thank you, brother. All right. We're going to continue to pray. Now, what was the name of that stuff you used for the cataracts again? Can see. Now, there's two kinds of can see. The kind that, uh, that uh, attack cataracts and the other one just attacks bad vision. It's a it's a it's a medicine that was uh, came up through Russia, and they they don't advertise it because the establishment wars against it because it it tries to tear down their multi billion dollar industry. But you can get it on Amazon if you search for it. Can see eye drops, and there's two kinds. One kind comes after cataracts. Now you got to be careful because it comes in two little bottles, and you got to go through the right process to to open the bottle. And that right process is in such fine print. I had to take a picture of it with my phone and blow it up. But, <laughs> and you got and, and to refrigerate it. You got to refrigerate it and use it in this kind of increments they tell you to use it in. And the, I don't know the member, but I, I know she, she's a wonderful person because I, I saw her, her post and I couldn't see well enough to see her. But Baraka came on and, and, and confirmed it to me. And, and, and so I went for it. And, uh, Amazing, amazing. Uh, uh, who knew, you know? So uh, be aware of that. That can see is you can get it delivered to your doorstep. Now, one other thing, Stephen, I believe the technology that has spoiled everybody and brought everybody to being, uh, you know, lazy to some degree can be a blessing and a curse for both. Now, we're 
we're seeing the blessings on this end of that technology right here, right now. Right. Sure. I believe that I believe that I believe that you brought this so that we will behold the working of his mighty power that raised Yahushua from the dead and broadcasted all over the world. Now, I don't believe he's going to wipe it out like that. Like this, boom, we're out and we're out wandering around searching for the doorknob. I, I believe that he's going to bring it into understanding. Now, Clarence Thomas and some of the other like Supreme Court justices that are standing against unrighteousness, I pray for, and I think we all should. And uh, that there's a there's a there's a process where people are standing up against the unrighteousness, not just here, all over the world. And when that becomes separate to separated to it's Yahuwah that's doing it, and my people shall know my name, then it's going to bring the great crowd to the position of the great salvation as wrath is poured out because. They don't come to salvation. The great crowd doesn't come to salvation without wrath being poured out. And it doesn't talk about them the same way as it does the 144,000 remnant. Because the remnant are the only ones that have the testimony of Yahushua in their mouth, in the mouth of the members of that, of that remnant, which he's preparing us for. And so, Hallelujah. I, I, I love talking about it. So I'm going to stop while I got a chance. <laughs> shalom, shalom. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, David. Appreciate that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Sharka, how are things in Czechia? Yes. Shabbat shalom, Dr. B. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's good to see you. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Well, you know, I guess it's still fine or, you know, I don't even kind of perceive it anymore much because it's truly as, you know, as we, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So we literally kind of, you know, are here and we can even watch the reality as a movie to pass by kind of and, you know, whatever happens, it happens. We are here for what Yahuwah put us here. And as you said, Dr. P, I, uh, you know, for a very long time, I too said we had to sign up some contract and, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, kind of uh, like we agreed to, you know, where we're going to be born and when we're going to be born many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think yeah. so. I think we we're up there in heaven saying, "Well, you know." I mean, I can, I kind of picture myself as being kind of an arrogant putz hey. up there. Oh yeah, I can yeah. do. Yeah, go just go ahead and put me here. Oh, I got and this that. way also, you know, for for I can't blame anybody. And every time, like you know, I would get little, so I can't blame only my uh, myself. And I said, "Oh, I signed for this. I have to go through this. I have to deal with this, and I'll overcome it." <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, Yes. And one thing I, well, I wanted to say one thing, but you know, all this wonderful, today is very strong show. So there's a lot of great, like, you know, uh, testimonies and uh, kind of like revelations and like preparation. This is a really preparation. And actually, I think that one of, uh, like one of Yahuwah's mana for these days are the fact that we have the time for preparation as well. 
And I think that, you know, it, uh, one of uh, like on, on the material or physical part of preparation, like to, uh, to 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 get some supply for harder time to come, you know, to get some extra, like every time we go to the market, we get extra, you know, here and there, toothbrushes, toothpaste, soaps, you know, shampoos, white candles, just to, you know, candles, matches, things like this when the time and the heart, you know, canned food and, you know, things that, will last for longer and uh, stuff that we we're gonna need when you know things will happen so at least we'll be prepared and we'll have some supply for a little time to have so we do make supply actually and uh so so we're kind of working on this part as well and yeah, you know i was talking when, i was i was listening to um vladimir klitschko who's the mayor of kiev and he has the uh, the you know uh, the 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 responsibility to try to do something with the condition in Kiev right now, which is hor horrific. And so he said, "Well, look, you know, if you have friends or relatives who have wood stoves and who have water out of the city, go out to their houses and, and live with them. Go stay with them, right? Get out to where there's a wood stove and there's a well where you can try to survive, because you yes. won't be able to do it in Kiev." And in Kiev, he's created something that he's calling the invincible centers. He's calling them invincible centers. And these centers are going to have generators. They're going to have some, some uh, yes. you know, some pharmaceuticals. They're going to have some bandages, you know, some needed stuff, some antibiotics or whatever. And some, uh, a little bit of bread, a little bit of tea. And they've actually yes. been funding these places with out of their own pocket, believe it or not. They're funding these out of their own pocket. The idea of an invincible center, you know. And is it invincible? Of course, it's not invincible, but it is a shelter of some sort. And I think he put together, I think he said they put 36 of those in Kiev so far of these centers mm -hmm. where, you know, when you're freezing to death and you've got nowhere to go, you need to have some place where you can come in and get some hot tea and, uh, you know, at, at least take the edge off the hunger and take the edge off the uh, off freezing and so forth. And it's the same kind of thing when we when we prep in our own lives. Yeah, has blessed some of us with the idea of, you know, he sets, sets us up for preparation, puts us in place. Yeah, absolutely. Food. You know, I would say, like, I don't know, uh, you know, I kind of feel that for, you know, like six months up to a year, we, we should have some supply. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure Yahuwah will provide for everybody, like individually, you know, whatever people will need. And actually, I, I do have to because I was pouring someone to share. We are, we got twenty of these. This is a five liter big like a jacks glass jacks. And once a month, we go up to the mountains and we we get the the fresh water from the the springs. It's still kind of healthy, you know. We don't drink the water from here. But I think that it's uh, like everybody like if people would you know will be interested, they can go online and just. Uh, put in some keywords into the Google, like natural water springs, what, what, what the closest kind of, you know, things are. And I'm sure they everywhere pretty much, you know, in mountains and forests. So we get the water from the mountains and it's a, it's a delicious water. It's not the tap water still, you know, but it, it's just like, you know, what, uh, what we can do and we, 
with, with the supply. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to take much long. Another thing. No, but is, that's that's very good, Shark. I mean, it's a very good word, and you're right. I mean, having yeah, the first I'm happy. Okay, just little things, right? Little things just to kind of cover you, uh, yes, so that you can get, exactly. you can get through. I mean, some people say that two weeks is enough. You know, two weeks is enough storage. Other people okay. say two years. You know, if you're Mormon, it's seven years. You know, but I mean, that's another story. Uh, but uh, yeah, exactly. Right. But, like, but the thing <laughs> is. But, but can I ask a question to you? I'm sorry. Sharka, can I ask you a question? So so as you're yeah. saying this, the way you began, um, isn't we're we're to prepare physically like this, but shows like this, what we're using this technology for is actually putting oil in our lamps, right? So the five wise and the five foolish, we're actually trying to put oil in our lamps as well as putting a little bit of food in our in our pantry. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Thank you. Yes, that's how the revelation we got as well. We, we, we do have some, you know, we actually have full cabinets, like we can open a little, <laughs> little market here. We do have food and people laughing at us. And, you know, my husband's parents laughing all the time at us. And we will be, um, we are like, you laughing now. But when you get hungry, you will be banging on our door. Give us food. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and that's the thing you have to keep in yeah. mind, too, is that, you know, when when there, there will be people banging at your door, you know. They will. And, exactly. and so it, it, it's something to think about. Yeah. And maybe we'll world, be like you know, Joseph in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when we come to this part, I really I'm really praying that the people that come to your door to bang at the door are people that have a heart of humility and a heart of love and not a, a Nazi heart saying, you know, do you speak my language? Okay, well, I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to take your food. Right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. well, thank thing. you, Okay, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. One more, uh, two more things, but I'm going to keep quick on this one. When you were talking about uh, these like zombies or, or you know, whatever's going to happen in the world, that they won't see us. I actually visualized a movie, you know, movies are very revealing. And this was like years ago, I don't remember the name of the movie, but it was a movie with Brad Pitt, of course. And it was like the zombie apocalypse. And I remember in the end of the movie, this scene came to my mind where they were already like getting into that room, you know, in the hallway where he was hiding somewhere. And all of a sudden, I don't know if somebody was there with him or, or something came to him. I just don't remember. It's been a while ago. But I know that this thing came to him and he said, in order to be invisible, you have to just let go of all the fear just to take a deep breath and go walk right through them and they won't see you. They won't even know you're there. And really, that's what you know happened. He just kind of got it all that fear and everything and he just took a deep breath and he like walked through the hallway just a very calm and actually uh, literally the zombies you know he was walking right through them and the zombies didn't see him at all didn't smell him or whatever how they function and that's very symbolic for you know the time is coming that literally it is the fear because the fear i'm sure fear has like aroma, some kind of for it, it, like in the spiritual world. It yeah, has some yeah. specific, you know, aroma or something must have. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, that's fear a good has one. a smell in the natural world, and like can smell that. 
Don't be afraid of a dog and it won't smell that you're afraid, then it will not uh, attack not attack you. But if you're, yes. you're fearful of the dog, it will attack you because of your smell. Yes, exactly, absolutely. So, yeah, and, you know, brothers and sisters just putting here the, the names of the movies. And stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. So we, and you know, so we, we don't have to have fear. We have the best on our side, you know. We have, we have Yahuwah. <laughs> what, what can be better than having Yahuwah on our side? Nothing. Okay, so, fair enough, fair enough, Sharka. Fair enough. And last thing, quick, 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 the Euphrates is already drying up. Are the fallen ones will be released any soon? Dr. Peter, you well, know? Well, you know, that's the big question. The Euphrates is drying yeah. up. Will this open the abyss? And if it does yeah. open the abyss, will the, the four angels that are being kept at the Euphrates, will they be released? And if they are, then that means war comes to the whole world. And yep. it hasn't been seen before in history. It's being seen now. So what does this tell you? It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And we are not. We don't have no fear. We are here. Oh, we are here and we have no fear. <laughs> okay. Thank you so <laughs> All right, much. Sharka. Thank you. And wonderful show again. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Sharka. Beautiful word. Thank you. Okay. Have hey, you John, heard the John sounds? Mark. Sorry. Go ahead, Angela. Have you heard yeah. the sounds oh, coming out of the Euphrates? Yes, I have. The yeah. video, yeah. Okay. Scary. Not scary, but eerie sounding. Yeah. Yeah. That's because there's, I mean, I've heard people, you know, there's a, a hole in Eastern Russia that is like, um, you know, they call it the pit of hell. And I have heard that. And they hear screaming and stuff going on down there that is just unbelievable. So, uh, you know, all I can tell you is I, I like Sharkas. We are here and we have no fear. Absolutely. No fear. All of the for such a time as this. Amen. Eh? Yes. Hey, and by the way, Angela, if you have a link to that, to the video of the, the sounds in, in uh, at the Euphrates, can you put them up in the chat? Um, It is all over YouTube. Just Google it. Just type it in. You uh, dried up your Freddy sounds and you'll get it. It's all over YouTube. Okay, great. Thanks, Angela. Thank you. Thank you. Real Thank quick, you. Stephen. That, yes. that I drops is C-A-N-C, like a capital C. I just wanted to clarify that because you, you might not think of that. C-A-N capital C. That's capital C. Okay. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you for that tip, David. Thanks. Thanks, Braca, for the tip. And thank everybody for that. It's it's good news. Good information. Okay. John, what have you got, brother? Hey, yeah. You know, I need to manage my stress. <laughs> and uh, with all this stuff going on, I think about things that come to mind. And, and one of them is when uh, Yosha was having his conversation in the wilderness being tempted and the enemy showed him all of the kingdoms of this world from the beginning to the end. And, you know, he didn't really respond to that. He didn't bow down. He didn't want anything to do with it. And none of those kingdoms exist today. 
and we're coming into the end of all of that. Those, those are losers. They're losers. And, and now you, the Nazis, the Nazis want to come back and their neighbors are the children and the grandchildren of the Red Army. Give me a break. These are losers, you know? So there's some yeah. other things that come to mind. And this is, you know, to not, to not fear. And we've been talking a lot about that, to not fear no matter what's coming because um, there's something a lot worse than following a false God and that's turning away from the, the one and only true Yah. That's really, you, you're lost. You don't, have a, you don't have any comeback. And there are scriptures that tell us, even those kind of people that go that way and they come to themselves and they want to come back, they're not going to be allowed to. There, there's a bunch of angels that are tied up in all their uh, descendants and what have you that have no chance to for any mercy, any grace. They're they're done, and um, you know the way the world is going. You want to worship the planet. You want to worship the environment. Um, you want to pick these things. You want to write your own Ten Commandments. All of this is mocking, mocking Yah. And we've seen a lot of that all over the world, and especially in our country, um, that everything that is of Yah and of the scripture, of the truth and the way that they've gone way, way beyond mocking Yahweh. And there's this one line that says, Yah will not be mocked. <laughs> it's going to be bad. The, some other things that are kind of positive is when, when, the, when your enemy is making mistakes, do not interrupt them. It's very important. I <laughs> yeah, think yeah, right. this is something from Sun Tzu, uh, The Art of War. When your enemy is making mistakes, don't interrupt him. And and there's grave mistakes being made in uh, in the leadership of the West. And uh, they're blind; they can't see it, but that's okay. Something else about the cities, um, you know, they turn these cities into like Washington D.C. has turned itself into a fortification, sort of from the from the fences and the police or what, whatever. And <laughs> George Patton, you know, <laughs> he, he said something one time about fortresses. He said a fortress is a monument to man's stupidity because <laughs> he could go around them and cut them off. And the same process was done in the Pacific on the islands. They, they fortify an island and just go around them and leave them behind you. They can't get it's, out. It, it is so out. true. I got to tell so, you, John, I was, when I was when I was in uh, Corinth, right, uh, where, you know, where uh, Paul was writing to the Corinthians. Yeah. I visited Corinth and they have a, there is a you know, you have the, the, the little village of Corinth. And then you have this hill back up behind him and it's called uh, Agio Corinth or something like this. Anyway, it's the fortress. Right. 
right. where the fortress wing, and we hiked up there and we hiked all the way through it. And it was had all these battle positions, you know, where they had a mound here or a wall here in a battle position. Then you come around here and they had a wall here in a battle position and, and turrets and battle positions all the way up the mountain, right? But they didn't have any water. They didn't have any food. So what's how do you how do you how do you defeat that battlement? You just surround the hill and just wait it out. And then sorry, oh you guys need food, you need water? Well, you know, you have to toss up the white flag, we'll talk. It was, you know, and it's the same thing with the Acropolis in Athens. Oh, we've got a mighty fortress on top of this hill. You don't have any water, you don't have any supplies, you don't have any means for supplies. What are you talking about? You got a fortress, you don't have anything. You have a place that's going to be surrounded and totally cut off. And this is what Patton saw, you know, readily. Oh, you're, you're, you've got a fortress you can stand in? Okay, great. I mean, the fortress works against things like wild animals, but it doesn't work against thinking human beings. Yeah, you got to be able to maneuver. So you've just limited yourself. So that these, these are mistakes that are being made and, and they don't know any better. So don't, don't interrupt them. <laughs> <laughs> those, those bunkers they're digging is going to be their grave <laughs> well one ukrainian officer dug himself a grave and is sleeping in a body bag he's, he's sleeping in a body i guess he figures look if i'm going to die i'm going to be in the body bag already so you guys yeah don't waste any bag. time stay busy right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway blessings to everyone it's great thank you john yeah thanks brother okay hey let's go to iphone iPhone. Hi, Dr. Pigeon. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, this is Lori. And um, that movie that Sharka was talking about is World War Z. And um, I have two things. One, I wanted to share with you uh, a second or a witness on the time frame of the Antichrist. And this comes from the book of the Bee, which is a Syriac text, text edited from the manuscripts in London, Oxford. Look at um, the bee, right? Yeah. So it says that the time of the error of the Antichrist will last two years and a half, but others say three years and six months. So I didn't know if that was something you had read before. On, well, but two um, years and a half strikes me as, uh, as a very viable number. It does not last the whole three and a half years. The Antichrist term is shorter than that. Yeah, so I just wanted to bring that one up to you to let you know there's other writings that say the same. Um, oh, okay. okay. And then the other one is uh, where Chris was talking about the 10 Deverines and you were as well. And um, we have to use wisdom. So from the book of Jasher, it talks about the 10 Deverines were written on sapphire, sapphire tablets. Is that not correct? Right, that's correct. Okay, so... When you're listening to Ron Wyatt, he said that it is a red granite they were written on. And I, I just have a hard time with, you know, we got a lot of Christians out there saying one thing, another. I just have to compare it to what I know, what it's written in the word. And the hidden word, you know, these other books that were removed are for us. And this is how we're supposed to determine what is true, in my opinion, what's true and what's not, so that we are not deceived. And I kind of have a problem with Ron Wyatt, considering some of the things that I've read from the other books and what he said. Um, so I just wanted, I'm not trying to debate it, but I'm just, everybody, come on, let's just, you know, 
go back to the word, see what we find. Is it, you know, weigh it out. That's yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but I had a, a bit of an issue with Ron Wyatt. Um, and I mean, you know, he, he put out some heartfelt videos, but uh, given what I know about uh, the Temple Mount and the kinds of things that he said and that the Jewish authorities shut down his ability to find the Ark of the Covenant and so on. I just disagree with him on that. I just don't think he's right on it. And, um, you know, I don't want to talk ill about Ron, but uh, I have my own difficulties with his teaching. Okay, yeah, and, when, and if we compare it, it doesn't line up. And I just think that we need to do that with everything. And um, I think it was Ashley that was talking about the red dust. I just wanted to let her know that also um, it is in the Colburn, throughout the Colburn, but the last six pages, it does talk a lot about it. In Antarctica, people were showing some pictures from Antarctica that it is turning red from the, the um, I think it's the iron in the dust from you know, if you want to call it Nibiru or whatever it is that's coming in and it, and it does talk about, you know, raining blood. And that's what I believe that it is. It's the, the ion that's coming down. Um, that's red. Yeah, from- raining blood. Right. And that was, you know, what the Colburn talks about that too. And of course, you know, when you talk about the, the, the Nile turning blood red, right. Which scripture talks about that. That's in you know, the book of Exodus. Um, you know, how is it that, that happened? Right. And uh, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you can divorce yourself from that, uh, that teaching, you know, which is that it, it did turn to blood red. And, you know, and if this was um, a dust that came uh, as a result of, you know, this visiting planet, which, you know, the, the, the uh, geology of it totally makes sense. And when you talk about, if you talk about a neighboring planet and the planet has, and of course the description that is given is that it had, wasn't just a planet it's a planet with like nine moons and it's coming in with its own gravitational field and its own dirt if you will a dirt trail that is horrendous and what gill says is that it appears that we will be going through the tail of this planet that the planet makes a near pass by the earth and then we go through the tail of it which means we go through all of its dust and and you know the 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 dirt trail that follows behind it in which case, this is what you would see. This is what this would the evidence would be. The evidence would be that you know, you know, take a look. There is a, a dirt trail, and the dirt trail is red ionization. You know, red iron or highly rich, highly enriched iron, leaving a residual trail. Now, I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying this is the reasoning behind it, the logic behind it, if you will. Okay. Yep. And that's. Oh, sorry. Well, go ahead. I was just going to ask. Has anyone actually seen this planet that they're talking about? No. Well, there's people like you and I that are taking pictures. I mean, they're taking pictures of two suns, two moons. There's a moon that's uh, waiting from the bottom and not from the side. And there's pictures where it looks like it's almost, uh, it's larger than the sun, or it appears to be, you know, somewhat larger. The people you and I are taking pictures with their phone. I know some people say it's not here. But you can't deny that you can see these things, especially when the skies are turning such a blood red, regardless if you think it is our government with harp, but it matches up with the book of uh, miracles and uh, the Colbrand and other books that I've read where 
I mean, it, it lines up with it all. And of course, when we talk about the Colburn, you know, you're talking about a secular history. You know, some people might call it a mythology, if you will. But, you know, yeah. what Graham Hancock makes the point, he says, you know, when you have a, a mythological legend that's being told in seven or eight different cultures or 10 different cultures, and they cross pollinization between them. How is it that they all tell the same story? Like all these cultures tell the story of Noah's flood. All of them tell it. And, you know, there's at least five cultures that tell, that tell the story of fallen giants, at least five. And in fact, when uh, Joe was on the show on, on, uh, on answers for our times yesterday, he uh, you know, pointed out that the cultures, the, the Maori culture, the Samoan culture, and then other island cultures in the South Pacific all have stories of giants. They all have the same story. So how is it that these cultures all have the same story? Well, you can call it mythology if you want, but when everybody's telling the same story in a mythological legend, at some point you have to give some credence to some of it. And in the Colburn, it was an eyewitness account and they were not for the slaves. They were on the side of Pharaoh. So um, for it to be published, I, you know, it was an eyewitness account, not favoring the Christians, but so that's all I had to say. Thank you. Well, thanks, Lori. And thanks for bringing that up. And thanks for bringing up the Colburn and these other ideas. I mean, I really do appreciate it. And like I say, I mean, this could be what we are seeing. We're seeing, you know, a ton of things coming on the earth, right? What's it say? I mean, the gospels tell us men's hearts will faint for what they see coming on the earth. And that's not because a Democrat got elected, right? It, it means more. It, it means it means more than that. Okay, thanks, Lori. Really appreciate it. Okay, Alan, how are you doing? What's our update? <laughs> Man, I've been too comfortable here. Is the update? Um, yeah, I got on me last night, so I've been staying with a friend for maybe a little over a month now, and it's been comfort persecution. And just different things popping up. We talked about persecution last night. And I had a dream last night that all my friends were there. We were going to school. And one of my buddies was selling a bunch of keys, like unlocking door keys outside. It was a mountain of them. And um, everybody was running to buy these keys and, like, get as many keys as they could. And all I had was one key. And uh, so I thought that was strange. And then we all went inside. And then my buddy Chris was doing like this levitation thing at a sorcery and everybody was like intrigued. And I just called him out and I said, that's not of the Bible. That's not of Yah. And then my buddy Matthew, um, he just hollered out to all the people and said, um, who here believes in Jesus? And um, everybody raised their hand. And I said, everybody put your hands down. And uh, are we keeping his commandments? Are we keeping his Shabbat? And they were just battling me, battling me, battling me. And uh, then they started laughing at me and uh, making fun of me. And then I woke up. And then it's interesting. I always read the, the Parsha on Saturday or today, this morning. I, read, I like reading the whole thing um, at once on Shabbat. And, and comfort came up. And, you know, first thing I read is, Jacob used the uh, stones for pillows and I was like come on Alan like you need to get back on the road and you know keep going to help these people because I've been helping people here in Miami walking the streets helping the homeless doing those things but 
keep moving because Yahusha said he has no place to lay his head. And I actually thrive in that situation of like just going and just totally relying on him. So I'm kind of this whole comfortable thing for me is not really good for me. And I need to, I need to get back out there and get out of the comfort zone again. Cause that's where I thrive. And yeah, yeah well, I just, really good point. I, I just thought, <laughs> I thought there was no coincidence in seeing Jacob lay his head on the stones today. I was like, come on, Alan. So I plan on leaving tomorrow morning and um, just hitting the road again and sleeping out of the car and, just doing what y'all right, want you to do. Well, we're going to keep you in prayer, brother. And I, and I hear you. I know, I know what you're saying. And yeah. you feel like it's time to move on. And, you know, you had one key, but how many keys do you need? You need the, you need yeah, one you key. Need, yeah. Yeah. One key to the, to the, that un, absolutely uh, unlocks the lock. Every other key yes, doesn't, you know, you know, you can have you can have a hundred keys on your keychain, and then you come to the lock that you really need the, the, the key to, and you don't have it. Right? You ever been there? I've been there. You're yeah. Like, eh, no, that yeah. not that one. No, not that one. Not that one. Yeah. I, so I, I just I, I feel sad, like um, and just a little down because yeah, the the comfort zone doesn't work for me. Like it, it feels good, but it doesn't feel good, and um, so he's really convicting me, and it's like. I probably haven't missed anything or missed anybody that I was supposed to touch or just supposed to talk to. Maybe I was supposed to leave sooner. And so I'm kind of down, but tomorrow I know when I leave then I'll, uh, I'll be back up. Well, you know, you're, you're an inspiring voice to me because I'll tell you, I mean, you know, of course I'm a lot older than you. So the idea of doing what you're doing right now, I don't think I can do, but, um, we may have to, and we may, we may have to look to you for that same kind of courage that, okay, guess what? We have to leave our comfort zone to go do things that are uncomfortable to be able to be true warriors for the kingdom, you know? So thanks for your inspiration, Alan, and uh, blessings to you. We'll, we'll continue to pray for you. Okay. Thank you. My last thing is always, I love that verse of Isaiah. He says, here, here am I, send me. I always tell y'all, here am I, send me and please send me. And uh, thank you guys for letting me be here. Bless you all. And I'll see y'all next week at a different spot. Right. Okay, Alan, it's a blessing to you. Take care now. Okay. Thank you. Take care. All right. Let's go to Live's iPhone. Live's iPhone, are you here? Um, yes, we can hear you. Okay, good. Greetings. Greetings. Um, I wanted to... Um, ask that we look at this statement that was made earlier and it was in the beginning in the and, beginning yeah okay yeah good on you mark for that one but um when we look at the torah it doesn't say that it says when yah began to create it, it's not presupposing that 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 almost as if it's arrogant to believe that you know that it's in the beginning when it may not be in the beginning. It may be when Yah, you know, uh, when, when, when Yah create, you know, when Yah created as opposed to not saying when that, knowing when that was. So. Yeah, in other words, the narrative may begin there. I don't the know. Narrative. I don't know. I, I'd like to really know. 
That's for sure. But but it kind of coincides with what you said, and you 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 stated that the end. So in the beginning, when Yah began, and what's the end? And so you, I believe that what you said uh, was that it ends with fire. Yeah. And we're sitting here dancing around all these things when it could be so simple as it, it ends with fire. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's it's Peter that says it that um you know the, the last time was with water but the next time will be with fire and yeah, uh, and i've shared with the group that i've actually seen that physical event and i know you guys have a hard time believing that but because i have had that experience i uh, i uh i'm i'm subject to it myself uh, what do you mean by what do you mean you're subject to it uh well, I guess, you know, I've studied all these versions of scriptures for 50 years myself. And I got to a point where the scripture became me. And so when our Messiah, you know, st stated that greater things that you shall do, you're right, right. All lives should be showing that. We shouldn't have to talk about the past. We should have events in our lives, and I think that we do, and we just don't know how to um, process them. Yeah, process, right. Great word. I think, I think process or, or even recognize. I mean, oftentimes yeah, both, you know, both recognize and then process. Yeah, because you don't, you don't see miracles. Uh, uh, unless the Ruach has opened your eyes to see them. And then, then you see the miracles around you, you know? And so, and based on that, um, based on that, many of us in the group could have had miracles as events in our lives, but our eyes weren't opened to see them as miracles and supernatural. And, and I think that everybody in the group has had that. I really would like us all to pray that those things come forward in us that greater things shall we do yeah you, well, you know i think i think yeah i think well that's a good word and i think we're at we're at miraculous times now too and i think Absolutely. we are going to see these things we're, we're in miraculous times we're in times that are like no other and we're going to begin to see things that that as mashiach had prophesied we will start to see these things happen in our own lives and so i think your word is a good counsel that we need to counsel ourselves to uh, have a heart of readiness, not only for, you know, the disasters and bad things around us, but to have a heart of readiness for the miracles that will be worked in our lives and to be prepared when Yah bestows us with supernatural authority. And, and, and uh, that we really get a handle on what it means, what's coming. If it is fire, what is the shelter that would protect us. That, that, that's one thing. And, and more importantly, you had mentioned, and I don't really understand this yet, but I'll dwell into it, but there's a thousand years coming after that event. Right. And that is our hope. 
And if you don't know how to get your cover, covered for the event of fire coming, then we won't be the witness in the thousand years. Uh, yeah. Well, that's again, that's scriptural too, right? That there's yeah. going to be those, and there'll be those that are martyred coming into the thousand years, you know? And well, so we can't. Fairly, we, that's fairly uncool, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But it it is one of the things that is prophesied. So I would just say, you know, let's, you know, let us follow the second Thessalonians right now. Keep doing your business. Do, do not be troubled by word or by letter that, that the end is coming. Just keep doing, keep doing your, keep doing your business. Keep doing what you're doing. Okay. May I pray? Yeah, sure. Abba, we are so grateful and thankful that you have had your law put into our hearts. We ask that you would help us to understand what to do with that. We also ask that you would supernaturally impute into us how we are to protect ourselves from the event of the fire in this season to come and what uh, what we're to do with the Torah uh, and to preserve it in, for, for the coming 1,000 years. Agreed. Well, let's, let's see if we can get an answer to that prayer. All right. Well, thank you much. Uh, John, did you want to say something? Else before we go, yeah, yeah, Mark, go ahead. So thank you, Lives. Um, that's great stuff. But I want to reflect back to in the beginning, Elohim. Um, that is so profound to me. It's not Ooh. just uh, not just for human understanding. It's it's in the beginning, Elohim. And I was just ministering to this this lady. Um, in the beginning, it's Elohim, and in the end, it's Elohim and Yasharel. Right. Yeah. It's all of it's it's all but of those not, who want that's to. That's not what the Torah says. Want to be one. But that's not what the Torah so says. In the beginning. That's what my Zephyr says. Yeah, that's what the Torah says too. I mean, if you read, I I, I spent a lot of time on Genesis one one. And when you look at when you look at the phrase, I mean, what, the way it reads in Hebrew is "ba-rashith bara elohim." So when you see this, the "ba-rashith," the the bait is a is a prefix meaning "in," and "rashith." Even though I I sometimes take disagreement with the Masoretic formula, because uh, you know "roshith" or "roshot" would mean in the heads, right? "Rosh." head, Roshot, in the heads. Uh, but it's not, it's Reshith. So you have this idea of Resh Yod, Shin Yod Tav. And so this is uh, beginning. So you have in beginning. So, so the Ba Reshith, in beginning, Bara, created Elohim, right? And the, the the semantic of the Hebrew the the, the verb precedes the the direct object of the creation. So Elohim is the one doing the creation. In the beginning, Elohim created. And I mean, if you want, we can take a look at it real quick. Like, and I'll show you in the Esord. 
let's just drop in it real quick. And you can see here, we'll, we'll go into Genesis. Well, look, Genesis 1, 1. Thank goodness we came right there. Okay, so here we go. So you can see here that the, the first word here, Bereshith. Now, when we look at this word, if we click on this word and look at the Strong's or the, uh, whether we're looking at Strong's or we're looking at Brown Driver Briggs, either way, you see that the, the verse, the word that they give us is not Bereshith, but rather just Rashith. Rashith, right? And so this says from the same as 728, the first in, in order rank or the beginning. So you have, you could you could write it as in the first or, in, or at the first time or in the first order, right? Or the first rank. But the idea of the bait, bait being the, the pre-nominal suffix to what we then see as Rashith. So our last letter being the Tav, pronounced in this case, some people say Sheet, but in, in this case, T-H, Rashith, Rashith. So a prefix here, meaning in, and then the word Rashith here, meaning beginning. You know, you might even be able to say, arguably, beginnings, beginnings. But, you know, I mean, there is an inference that this could be the feminine plural. Could be, I don't say it is, but could be the feminine plural. Okay. And then our next word here, bara, and then Elohim. Et, hashamayim, veet, haretz. Okay, so with that being said, I'm going to leave off that topic, and I'm going to go to Catherine Wilmot. Catherine, you had something you wanted to bring up? Yes, brother. Good news. I've just found some exciting documents. Do you know a chap called Gildas? Gildas, yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, there's some manuscripts in Joseph of Arimathea. I found some in the 14th century and I found some with the Kings of Wales and I was wondering whether they match up in the 15th century, whether they match up with um, the Kings of Wales you found in the Bible because they've written a lot of poetry. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, Gildas is uh, really the, the last uh, informed historian of that period. And there are competing right, okay. historians with Gildas, but his writing is considered, um, you know, I don't know if it's authoritarian, but there's little to contradict it. So Gildas is what we have. So Gildas is what we read. Right. Okay. Well, seeing as I've found these three documents, I'll be going down in January. But if um, people can go on the Sefer website on Facebook, um, Tina's done a Sefer website and I have done a little advert of, of um, the record office and things and there's so many thousands of documents to search through it's only worth my while if I get seven to ten documents 
because it's quite expensive going down just for one document. So right. if we can get another, if we can get another four, if people can go onto um, the Stepa website on Facebook, I will put another advert up there where they can search. I would appreciate it because financially I could only go near the end of January to get these manuscripts. Okay. If you would I'll, like them. I'll be looking, Catherine. Thank you, darling. And if anybody else is interested, I know a couple of people asked me last week, um, if you just go onto the Stefa website on Facebook, there is an advert of the Kew Gardens. Um, and then if you can start searching, I think there's over 800 thousand um, documents on Joseph but a lot of them are paintings so it's it's a lot of research but so Catherine next... when Catherine when we're searching are we just searching for Joseph yes yeah. Joseph of Arimathea um, because he is one of the biblical characters okay um and I think um, it's just going to help Stephen long term in his research. It will. We all it will work help together. Yeah. Because so, is there any way we can we can write down what ones we're searching so they're not over? They're not, you know, they're completed. I think it might be a good idea because each of them have a special number or a special code. If you write down those codes and then send them to me. My surname is Besta on Facebook, which is not my um, can, legal name. Can we post the numbers there for you on, on the Sefer website? Like, if yeah, I go That's there, a good idea. That's a good idea. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this. So these are the numbers that I've done this, and I'm going to search these documents. Yeah, I know Sherry's, bless her. She's found two as well. And I told her just to send them to Stephen. But those are in English, I think. But um, these ancient manuscripts, we're looking at, oh, Gildas, 14th and 15th century. Okay. Well, it's only worth my while, me going down, if, say, <clears throat> a minimum of seven to 10 documents i've found three i can go down for now yeah, so let's let's just for the time being let's just wait until we accumulate more documents okay let's keep the if research I can get going. them all in one go because exactly. Stephen, financially it's like financially it's silly me going down for one document at a time yeah exactly um, london can be a very expensive place i know you have you have to take the train down and so on and so forth i Gonna take the train down, but because of my heart condition, I need to rest today. Then I need to. Then I need to search. Then I need to rest. Then I need to search. It's 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 not easy for me, but um. Well, all I can tell you is, Catherine, if you would if you would get up in the morning and run five miles, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to avoid hospital, Stephen. And I'm still believing. It I was just a suggestion. Yeah. 
I know well, you're going to get extra time with my heart because of that blacklist on the MRI scan, but I'm still in heart failure. So I've still got to use wisdom. Right. Well, I have understand. Yeah. Well, you're doing a fabulous <laughs> job, Catherine. And every, there's a lot of us that want to help you. So yeah. the, the, the Sefer Facebook group on Facebook is there. And then maybe Dr. P, they can put it on Telegram on the Shabbat page. Will you see yeah. it from there? Yeah, I think, I think well, we, want to, we want to keep it in an archive place where we have access to it. So well, I let's, would say that, let's just keep it on Tina's then for now on the Stafford yeah. group, and then I can right. pick up those numbers. Okay. If somebody puts Catherine Bester, and then the number of each archive, um, that would be absolutely great. Okay. No problem. Because, okay. Yeah, I'd appreciate okay. that. That's what I we need. Okay. Tell, I was going to tell you too, Doctor P. I'm I'm excited because now I'm I'm gonna um they've requested that um, we sanction a saft uh, I mean a fast for the separate group and so um, we're doing that and so um, I would just like to tell everybody that all this week I'm raising everybody's hands and um, for the outpouring of the faith and the strength and the wisdom and the courage and the knowledge and the healing and um, all the goodness of Yah that we can spread forth in the strength of our love for him and his love for us. So I just wanted to bring that forward and that, um, that that's gonna be happening this week and that I'd ask you to pray for our fast. Oh, yeah. Outstanding. Okay, so you are going into a, a, another fast this week. Did, weren't you fasting last week as well? No, this is on the Telegram group. Oh, okay, all right. So, um, um, just, um, I've been just calling out for, um, that, um, for you to pray for the sanctioning of our fast before y'all. Okay. And for our... Okay, amen. And I'm we'll, excited okay. about it. We'll <laughs> okay all right thanks much okay all right let's go to john i'm gonna go catherine thank you for the update okay let's go to, let's go to john yeah. john what have you got yeah going back to peter and the fire yeah it's gonna end in fire that's also recorded in in josephus's records history of the jews and that he says that comes from a prophecy from adam that Adam prophesied before he passed, this is Adam, <laughs> that the world would be destroyed twice, once by fire and once by water. But he didn't know which one would come first and which one would come second. And so this is a story from the time of, of uh, Peter, same time, first century kind of thing. And, and then further, Josephus says, this is in early in, in his first volume, The History of the Jews, that Shem's people, because of this prophecy, built two structures, one of brick and one of stone. So if the fire came first, the brick would survive. And if the flood came first, the stone structure would survive. And in the architecture of these structures was all the wisdom of the antediluvian world. 
Wow, 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 wow. wow. I actually went and looked that up a couple of days ago because something triggered me about that. So I went back into my Josephus book and, and there it is. It's in there. So Peter is talking about something that he knew that Josephus knew that was common knowledge among the Jews about their own history all the way back to Adam. And, and Josephus recorded this stuff. And all the history of the antediluvian world is in some structure that the children of Shem built. Um, so where is that? And it, it yeah, see, says the so name of the land where it is, Syriac or something like that. I've got to look yeah, well, that up. I, I didn't. Well, I mean, track you, that let me down. just share this with you, John. The you know, first of all, Malcolm David is convinced there's 70 books that were the great 70 that were retained and that probably contained the history of the antediluvian world. Yes. And, well, th and now that book, the question was, was it contained in Jerusalem? Now, there's I had a friend that lived in um, Armenia. He told me that the Yazidis, which have a very small church in eastern Iraq, virtually impossible to get to, but that the Yazidis had documents. Now this would be consistent with the with the placement of the children of Shem. Yes. The children of Shem were living, right? It'd be consistent yes. with that placement. So yeah, so it's um, you know, once again, we're um, we're we're unveiling we're unveiling research that's like, okay, get ready, everybody hold on to your hat. Uh, you know, because yeah. as one of the guys said that was doing the Dead Sea Scrolls, when he said once they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, he said, This is going to upset a lot of theologians. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, okay. you know, the, the Jews don't, they don't like Josephus. He's like the Benedict Arnold. So they just throw all this stuff out. But Peter confirmed it in his writings about the, the fire. Of course, they already knew the flood came. But then there's this other thing in Josephus about they left a record somewhere in stone. that survived the flood. That is yeah. pre-flood knowledge it's like we got to find this place <laughs> yeah i always yeah. thought it was I a mean, great pyramid you know well there's been people looking i mean you know hitler was looking for the ark of the covenant and the romans were looking for that book trying to burn it trying to find it and burn it and <laughs> I, I don't think they i don't think they got it i don't think they found it i think it's surviving somewhere we just haven't found the location yet yeah there's some fascinating things happening and coming to light it's very encouraging. <laughs> very encouraging. Yeah, it's a great world, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, Tina, I want to go to Raina first before I come back to you, okay? Tina, Raina, go ahead. Hello? Hi. How are you? Good. Okay, I wanted to bring out that the tree of life, that was Yahusha. You know the Hebrew song? Do you know in, in the synagogue? Well, we used to sing the Etzayim He. You know that one? I'm I not, not a, know that song. I'm going to send it to you. It's uh, oh, okay. beautiful. And uh, it's a beautiful song. It's about the tree of life. Etzayim let me, I'm trying to copy the Hebrew so I can send it to you. 
Etz Etzayim, Etzayim, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There it is. Can you see it? Yeah, I can. It's got the nekudots, but take away the nekudots, uh, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, the, the nekudot is fine. I don't, I don't mind the nekudot. It gives, you, it gives you something to pronounce it with. So I'm, it, is a tree of, it is a tree of life for those who hold fast to it. And those who uphold it are happy. Its ways are pleasant and all its paths peaceful. Return us to you, Yah, so that we shall return, renew our days as of old. Yeah, outstanding. Beautiful song. And if you, yes. I'm gonna, I'll look it up and see if I can find the words, find a presentation of it online. Maybe I can learn it. Good. Okay. And I would, thank, you. I would, thank you very much. I would love for you to do that uh, search on the halacha because uh, Abraham walked with Yah. Moses kind of. And many walk Noah. That has a meaning there. We have to walk in his ways. That walk. Yeah. That, yeah, that, I, I agree with that. I agree with that, Raina. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for sending this sending this over. Okay, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Tina and then we're gonna wrap up our Shabbat meeting. Tina? All right, this is just real quick. Those Ten Commandments that they did at the COP 27, have those been made public yet? And if so, where can we find them? They have been made public. And I have a copy of them on the show that I did called uh, The Golden Calf. The Golden Calf uh, has been archived on the Eating Wild Honey and Locust channel uh, because we couldn't get it up on YouTube because I get kicked off YouTube. So we put up the golden calf over there and you can find it, uh, the golden calf. And I do, and one of the slides does present those 10 commandments. Oh my In fact, God. there's two different groups. There's the initial group and then there's the second group. So that's what's there. Well, I'm spacing them because I watched that thing and I didn't, but I'll go back and get it from there. Okay, thank you very much. Tina, the PDF is on Eaton Wah Honey Facebook page. So you can get the PDF as well there. Oh, great. That's what I want. I want to see what they're pulling. Thank you very much. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. They, they fancy themselves as Elohim themselves. And I'll tell you, they're, they're going to pay a price for that. They're going to pay a price. Okay, hey guys, thank you very right. much. So with that, I want to thank you guys for having a, for really blessing me with a terrific Shabbat. Thank you, Raina, for this song. And I want to just thank you guys in general. So let's pray for the fellowship before we go. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you have gathered us together as a group and that you have blessed us and that you are keeping us uh, with the love of one another under the kingdom. Thank you, Yah, for all of these things. Bahashem Yosha, we bless your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you next Shabbat.
Shalom, everyone. 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 Shalom, ever